This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 112 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it is Graham Steele and Gavin J. Baxter. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. After the stag do of one Mr. Graham Steele, the man of the people, I've felt a little bit more fresh in my lifetime. But hey, I'm not the one that was drinking a dirty pint that included birthday cake in it. So hey, I'm not too bad. Yeah, that, that's true. Thanks for reminding me about that. I tell you what, you played a solid with that one, though, by insisting it tasted nice and just getting everybody else to scoof out of it. It was a solid effort. Occasionally, solid being the a smart idea. <laughs> the kind of tactical acumen I'd hoped for from my Aberdeen manager. Exactly. It was a Robson-esque move rather than a Glass-esque move. <laughs> In a week that saw Elgin City have a record sponsorship deal withdrawn after a board member accidentally copied in the other director who was going to be proposing that sponsorship stating that he could stick his money up his arse that saw Celtic release quite possibly the worst kit in living memory and that saw Ross Toakley live up to his well-earned reputation of being an absolute fucking <laughs> it's slightly more subdued one this week on the ABZFP as we bring you our thoughts on the fixtures that were released on Friday we'll take a look at the news from AB24 that's broken in that we've not already covered. We'll take a look back at our pre-season predictions to see just how knowledgeable or lack thereof the game in Scotland we are. And after the break, it's the return of our series of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time, a man who had a memorably short stop in the North East, signing for the Dons in the summer of 1998, but going on to make only eight, uh, 15 appearances in red, scoring twice before heading back down south. It is Craig Hignett. First things first, the Dons returning for pre-season training on Tuesday, one of the more awaited days in the calendar, fixture release day rolling around on Friday as the Red Army got our first look to see where we can mount a title charge across the upcoming campaign. The Dons starting off with a trip to West Lothian to face the Lions of Livingston on opening day before Celtic visit Pataudry the following weekend in our first home game of the season. The Dons then with a trip to Paisley, a home game against Hibs, away to Hearts, home to Ross County and away to Sevco to round out our opening. Seven fixtures, a tough start this season's play, all of last season's top six in that opening phase. Other important games to look out for, Sevco visiting the home of football on the 25th of November. The Christmas New Year period season's travel to Dundee on the 23rd of December before a home game against Muddle on the 27th. That home then to the Paisley Saints on the 30th of December before travelling to Dingwall on the 2nd of January 
God bless the Mallard. Run after the winter break sees us away to Hearts, home to Celtic, away to Rangers, home to Hibs. Likely that we'll miss Duke from that Hearts game minimum as he'll be with Cape Verde at the AFCON. So, gents, uh, we'll have to travel to Hearts and Sevco twice ahead of the split as well in the face of things at the moment. Let's be honest, the fixture computer hasn't exactly been kind to us here, has it? Nope. <laughs> uh, for what's going to be a very new, new look Aberdeen side, you'd maybe hope for a couple more fixtures that are more our speed to open up the campaign while the team, you know, integrates. But I mean, the other way I look at it as well, you have to play all these teams three times anyway. And if we're going to win the league, then we're going to have to take on all comers. So why the hell not go ahead and make a real statement in those first five fixtures? Yeah, I've seen a few people talk about that. You've got to play every three times anyway before the split. But I guess it's all, it's more about you want to build momentum, don't you? We've seen how important momentum can be in football, especially in this league. And it just, it that opening seven games, it's just like, oh, that's not great for a team who's, like you say, Gav, hopefully coming together and starting to gel a little bit. Uh, yeah, and especially given that we will be playing a lot of Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday within that within that time as well. Um, yeah, it, I mean, yeah, is Livingston away the ideal starting point? Is Celtic at home the first game you want at Pataudry? No, but um, hey, it is what it is, and we're going to smash it. Yeah, I think, well, just going to say, like you say, you got to play them sometime, but you maybe, I don't know, I feel like try to look through the hips, probably hearts, got a bit of work to do with their squad so maybe their squad's in a similar state to ours at that point as in they've just got the last of their arrivals and they're trying to piece it together as well so you maybe get uh, two teams playing each other who are not quite sure what the best players are and the best the best setup so that, that might sort of, you know, cancel each other out to an extent but it's a pretty tough set of fixtures but as Gavin says you know, it's what it is and you're not going to win the league without playing these teams it is difficult to ignore our woeful records at Tynecastle and Ibrox when you look at those pre-split fixtures. Yeah, but uh, again, an opportunity to uh, to work on that. Definitely, and Gav, you touched on it there a minute ago. We are going to be playing um, Thursday, Sunday for a big chunk of the season, as it turns out now. And I guess just looking at the current schedule as it stands just now, we're looking at the following games being the ones that take place post-European fixtures as well. So the first one of those uh, were away to St Mirren on the 27th of August. That's followed up the following week by Hibs at home. Uh, then September 24th, so that'll either be game day one of the Europa Conference League or game day one of the Europa League. Um, the first game after that is at home to Ross County. October 8th is then at home to St Johnston. There's a little bit of a gap till October 29th, we're away to Kilmarnock. November 12th, away to Celtic. December 3rd away to Hibs, and then December 17th, away to St. Johnston. So one thing that does jump out of there is out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out of eight fixtures, it's five away away games, three at home. So there's already a bit of an imbalance there. Um, although the positive could be that, you know, Celtic, um, Easter Road's not an area a ground we tend to do too well at either. In one way is that maybe just, it's, it's maybe no big deal from that perspective. It's going to be tough and it shows if nothing else really drives home how much work there still needs in terms of the squad, in terms of numbers and strength and depth, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're about to talk about uh, pre-season and the training camp. I was, after last week, you know, getting Clarkson in, getting Reese Williams in, I was expecting one or two more names to come in the door that week, and there's been no, there's been no further development. So hopefully, you know, it's just people working behind the scenes and, you know, getting the targets we're after is, you know, we're having to work to get the players we really want. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a need for... I think in any squad, ideally, you're looking for like a 22, 23-man squad 
that you can then flesh out with young players in this case in that first half of the season especially i wouldn't be adverse to us having you know one or two or three loan players in for the sake of bulking up the numbers um coming back to the, the fixtures yeah i mean you've mentioned at the end there possibly hibs could be big beneficiaries of this i do wonder if all these teams will be on their own fan podcast talking about whether this is a good time to play aberdeen and hopefully if they are they'll sound like the kind of idiots that we do when we talk about rangers <laughs> and celtic in europe uh it is it is what it is. it's it's part of the challenge of being the best <laughs> the only reason I've suggested Hibs might be big beneficiaries they're the only team we play twice in post-European fixtures it's a team who you would expect would be up challenging possibly for European plate spaces again next year so I doubt Hibs make it to group stages of, of, of European football this season just based on the likely teams they could draw when they get into the third and then playoff rounds of the uh, Conference League so that's for me just the one thing I look at that and go, that's the Hibs could be big beneficiaries. The rest of the teams I kind of look at and go, with the, probably with the exception of Celtic away, I look at and go, well, you know what? We should be capable of beating these sides anyway, whether we're playing European football on the Thursday night or not. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. They're, yeah, they're probably most of those teams are games you'd expect us to be competitive in. So I kind of take your point if you're coming back off the the back of a Thursday game, you'd want to play, well, not either of them, to be honest, you'd probably not want to be playing parts, uh, or you probably wouldn't want Hibs, but you've got stuck with that. So it's probably worked out not too badly from that point of view. I think we just have to see how we adapt to that sort of Thursday-Sunday schedule, and interesting to see what do the... I feel it's quite a big deal for the, the club, because there's a couple of ways this can go, which is you could really go for it, load up the squad to compete, with the intention or so the objective of being in the same situation next season, in which case you still need all these players. Because if you if you don't go for it and you you know you don't really put up much of a fight in Europe and you don't really do anything in the league, it feels like it's maybe a bit of a missed opportunity. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they approach it. But you know it's it's stuff to look forward to. I'd much rather be in this situation of wondering about how big a squad we're going to be able to finance and how the you know the post-European games are going to play out it's much more exciting than basically looking down you know another season you're thinking Ugh, what are we going to what are we going to do here aim for the middle of the table again well that's it isn't it we were after this this is what we wanted we wanted yep. this problem um, it's, yeah, now up to the, it's now up to the club it's up to Barry Robson and Co to, to work out how we deal with it um, anyway moving forward from that let's see how we go other news from AB24 this week since we were last with you, not very much to report. Obviously, Graham Shinney and Reese Williams, those signings were covered in episode 111.5. The boys are back in training, the likes of Vinny Bajown and Anthony Stewart reporting for duty. Um, although Duke and Ramadani still missing after their international excursions. The Dons then jetting out to, on Saturday to Portugal on Ryanair, as it turns out, with a new member of the coaching team, Peter Levine, joining up with the squad as well. Levine, 39 years old, football manager, champ man, aficionados will remember well. Former Kilmarnock and MK Dons midfielder who's then gone on to progress himself in the coaching world most recently with spells in Belarus and Russia. So a bit of a kind of curveball approach to his coaching career. Uh, in Belarus, initially employed as head of academy and the B team uh, at Dynamo Brest before then being promoted to assistant coach where he oversaw tactics and training under coach Marcel Lichska. Uh, Brest winning the 2019 Belarusian Premier League and two Super Cups in his spell, which is quite an achievement given the relative dominance of Bate Borisov in that league. 
Uh, then moving to FC Orenburg with Lichka in 2020, Orenburg achieving promotion back to the Russian Premier League at the first time of asking. Levine says himself he likes to prioritise exciting and attacking styles with high tempo, so not like his father Craig. Um, back in Scotland, he'll now look to utilise that experience both in the UK and abroad to help assist Barry Robson and Steve Agnew with the first team, but also provide pathway bridges for the young players making their way towards first team squad. And um, Barry Robson, keen to get him in the door, uh, did pro licenses together. Robson indicates he's he's very impressed with him. He's intense, enthusiastic, good contacts across Europe, etc. So certainly appears to be well regarded as a coach, has his pro license, which is more than can be said about Hearts as manager. Hmm. Thoughts, if any, about this appointment to replace Liam Fox? Um, yeah, I think I'm just happy that we've again gotten someone in early doors. We've not wasted any time with it. Um, I did feel that Liam Fox not not being able to keep him at the club was a little bit of a blow because it didn't it seemed like he fit in very well with with Robson and Agnew. And obviously, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding that we did very well um when he came in. But yeah, Peter Peter Levin, Peter Levine, Levine. We'll have to find out how that's pronounced. Um yeah. Like I say, extensive experience in in different leagues as well. So hopefully we can you know continue to use that to tap into some more talent in the Eastern European market, and he can bring you know this knowledge, this experience to Scotland and help out help out our our players uh, become better and perhaps even you know overachieve in the same way that he has done with his clubs in Belarus and Russia. Yeah, it's quite interesting. Like I'm just glad that uh, that it's sorted relatively early and you know, I guess if Robson does know him then presumably if this wasn't Robson's first choice it was someone that he was aware of um, so it's not like it's been imposed on him you know he's got someone that he he's happy to, to work alongside and I think it's quite good to have different experiences in your in your coaching team you know different different leagues etc I think it's quite good to have uh, just a broader range of experience if you've only ever got that um I don't know what we call it, sort of like blinkered view of this is just how you do things in Scotland, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, let's be honest, it's not the most, you're never going to get that excited about uh, the signing of an assistant manager or whatever, but good that he's in early. He's got plenty of time to get used to his uh, teammates and all that kind of stuff. But, Graham, you're saying you weren't falling off your seat at the appointment of Lee Sharp. <laughs> no, no. Oh, well, maybe for other reasons. Or what's his chops that came in under glass? Henry oh, Apple. Henry Apple. Yes. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I'm a, I'm I'm very well aware there's probably people people screaming at their car stereos or whatever that it's Peter Levin, not Levine. But I had to set up the Craig Levine joke somehow, and that was the only way I could do it. So there we go. Um, Jokes that you have to explain are always the best, aren't they? <laughs> they are definitely. Um, it is an interesting one. I, I do like the fact he's obviously had that spell in, in Belarus and then in Russia because I do think there's a lot to be said for knowing and, and having a view about how, you know, different teams in different um, countries play. And I think that could stand as a good stead as well, well for when we get into Europe, you know, just that, yeah, that well, feel about I, tactics and the, the the dark arts of the game that we can maybe come to expect from I think certain that's countries. a good point, actually. But actually, I was just thinking it may or may not help with scouting. Mm-hmm. You know, we might have contacts in those leagues. And it sounds like we've got a pretty good setup now in terms of all the analytics etc but sometimes you just need an in with the right people and uh, so you may or may not have some decent contacts out that way um so yeah i think you know f- uh, it's not been imposed on robson it doesn't appear so that means that robson's getting people he he wants so um let's let's just see how it all goes but hopefully it'll all work out. i guess it's kind of difficult to know you never see 
as a fan what impact these guys have behind the scenes because ultimately it'll be Robson that is the manager uh, and if things are good or bad he'll get the credit and he'll get the blame so um, but hopefully he's uh, going to be part of a successful Aberdeen team Would either of you like to venture a guess as to where Henry Apple is now? Memphis 901 FC <sighs> Incorrect Oh What is the American equivalent of the Dole Office? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they call that? I don't know I can't I, I, Do you know I bet you he's like yeah exactly it's going to be something that I cannot believe he much like Duncan Ferguson has not taken the assistant manager's gig at Real Madrid oh is he not okay he is the assistant coach at the University of South Florida that sounds like a better gig than I was expecting it doesn't really clarify if he coaches soccer (laughs) just (laughs) (laughs) just generic assistant coach (laughs) and they appear to be a very new thing. So, uh, so okay. yeah, it's all gone. It's all gone. Wow. Well, there we yep. go. We'll keep an eye on Henry Appleu. We can maybe have a new segment next season. Appleu watch. So, mm-hmm. out, of, out of all of those charlatans, I think Alan Russell's the one that's unemployed, and that makes me happy. Did Alan Russell not get? Did he not get pulled along to Leicester City? No, really. I don't know. I'm asking. Possibly not. Alan Russell. Where is he? The first thing that comes up on like people also ask is how did Jana Kramer meet Alan Russell? So that 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 says something. Anyway, still lists Norwich City as his last club on Wikipedia. Okay, well there we go. Um, Arsenal. <laughs> right, because it was going to be a bit of a sparse show this evening. Um, I thought I'd just did the classic open up to Twitter just to see if anyone had anything they really wanted to talk about. So let's have a quick rattle through this. If we can still get onto it, depending on what Elon Musk is up to this evening. Here we go. Mark Massey's asking if we could discuss Portugal because he believes the first team have left for Portugal for a training camp in Portugal. I'm not sure if the club are going to mention Portugal on their social media or the Portugal training camp because they were in Spain last year and it went largely unnoticed. Do we want to talk about Portugal? Just as an aside, why do we... I realise everyone does it. Why do we have to go away? Uh, Good question. (laughs) Not really critical. I just never really... Barry Robson said he likes to work the boys in the heat was the exact phrase I well, heard from Barry Robson I'm just looking out in my garden right now he could come around and have a wee jog around it's boiling I, I guess you're not going to be able to post pictures of Angus MacDonald that appeared this evening to satisfy the thirst of horny folks on Twitter otherwise are you? <laughs> Kel Roos was looking pretty hench in that interview they did with him he was, Kel Roos has been hitting the George Zahorian <laughs> line on the juice on the juice. <laughs> anyway. I keep that guy away from any random drug tests. Yeah, I think so. Um, right, let's move on from that one because I, I think they're in Portugal. We'll keep our eyes on that. Let's see so. if that yes. gets confirmed. Um, Duncan Rothney at Mowgli in uh, 1977 said, has the supercomputer that randomly does the fixture list deliberately fucked us over because we had the audacity to finish third or is it a quinky dink? Playing the entirety of the rest of the top six in our first seven games. That's a very conspiratorial tone right there. I'd have much more truck with it. I thought that Neil Doncaster was remotely competent and capable of doing something like this. I don't trust I don't trust that we have a supercomputer. Of course we don't. We just go to Sky and go, what do you want? Doncaster. Just Doncaster writing the fixtures on the back of a fag packet. <laughs> have you seen did you see this stuff last week about Doncaster? He's got like a two year notice period. Yeah, which is And he's like a four hundred grand salary. Yeah. Mental. Yep. That is gross. 400 grand sign, that's the best haircut you can come up with. Ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. Do you, what do you think? Are they out to get us or is it just coincidence? I I'm, I would agree with Gavin. I don't think they'd have the 
competency to arrange this and rig it. So I think it's just unfortunate the way it's worked out. Well, you know, they tried to do it, but then they'd like end up like totally fucking it up. That's what I mean. So they probably, yeah, so they might have tried to do it, but it would have backfired and somehow given us like, <laughs> I don't know, 10 home games in a row or something. Or the, which... the, f- the first batch we come out, we were playing like three different teams on the opening day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but like that, uh, what were they going to do with the, because of the semi-finals? Yeah. Hamda a couple of years ago, they were going to play like morning and, Tea yeah. time all on the same days. So, yeah, I like the idea of Aberdeen's A team are away at Livingston at lunchtime, but then we've had to put the B team out to go to Ibrox at tea time or something. No, so no, it's just, just, it's, it's just a handicap match. 33 <laughs> versus 11. Just split your team. <laughs> Can we just remember as well, how amazing was that? That was a League Cup semi-final weekend, was it, where they were yeah. threatening to play Celtic Hearts at like one o'clock and then the Aberdeen Rangers were going to take the field at five or something. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. Like, I can't see any problems with this suggestion at all. Like, I know, on but so many different levels. Like, like, we've said this before about stuff in Scottish football. Like, so someone says it out loud, and you think that's the point where it should be shouted down. <laughs> but it doesn't, and so on and so on. And then, obviously, when it's announced, and everyone's like, this is absolutely insane. There's Then there's the doubling down. Yeah. And then the inevitable tail between the legs, having to U-turn uh, and go back to playing on separate days, which is always what was going to happened it's incredible absolutely there was incredible. so much about it just didn't make any sense i mean there was a the fact that the hamden pitch can barely cope with like a game being played in it once a week let alone twice in the same day then the sheer idea about having four four sets of fans in and around the glasgow area forces of fans who generally don't get on with each well, other i was gonna either, say right? who, who famously love each other so <laughs> <laughs> i loved it honestly amazing anyway let's move on um ian irvin comedy at comedy irvin I don't actually know what I'm going to read out because we can't do it, but never mind. Maybe someone will try and have a look at No way you can do it for tonight, but is there any database of Man of the Match winners? I figure they've been officially announced since at least the 70s. Who's won the most? Who has the best win percentages? Who's played the most games without ever winning? Um, his guesses are Miller, I presume Willie, Russell Anderson, and John Ingalls. I presume John Ingalls is the one to have played the most games without ever winning one. I'm going to have a look at this and see if this is That is an excellent question. I want to look and see if this is a thing that exists. I don't know if it does, but let's let's check out. Let's see how far back yeah. we can go. Anyway, yeah, no, that is a that is a really interesting one. Jeff Morin at Dandy Don fifty six wants us to talk about Tony Stewart and Vinny, but somebody else has got this question as well later on, so we'll talk about that later on in a minute or two. Solar at Solar Boop. Since the boys flew out to Portugal, there's Portugal be mentioned again. Given the choice, which kind of seat on a pl- on the plane does each squad member pick? I'm not going through each squad member, but let's just pick a couple at random. Well, Kel and Joe are taking aisle seats for sure. Yeah, definitely. Emergency exit seats. Yeah, as will Reese Williams. Reese Williams as well will need that. If he uh, no, 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 no. Tony Stewart would be at the emergency seat because he's got the composure to handle that situation. Um, Reese Williams will just need to have his like legs dangling out of the plane, I think. He's a big loon. <laughs> just, just check him out of the hold so he can stretch yeah. out. He's just laying flat on the ground yeah. between the seats. <laughs> Uh, Graham Shane will take a window seat I think so I can see him window seat music on yeah fall asleep I'm thinking Hayes is probably going to need an aisle seat so he can be running up and down playing pranks on people he seems like he'd be (laughs) a bit of a joker Vinny as well possibly Vinny will want an aisle seat yeah maybe for quick access to sticky toffee pudding on the cart Um, I'm trying to think it's quite a difficult one this because I, I Leighton Clarkson, Jaden Richardson, and Shaden Morris would just insist on sitting next to each other. Yeah. Yes, working their way through their Liverpool contacts to see who we sign next. So I'm absolutely yeah. on board with that. 
Um, Duke was on the plane, so that's an easy one. That's fine. Um, Miofsky will want a couple of spare seats next to him so he can just lie down on it because he's, he's pretty chill, I think. Boyan. <laughs> I think that's about it. This, this in my head felt like a better question than it's actually turned out to be. Um, because you've only yeah. got three options. So it's. Yeah. Esther Sokler makes a declaration of intent from his imports to the team and says he's going to ride up in, in the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> Taking charge of this situation. <laughs> who's probably ba- who's Barry Robson's boy? Do you think who who drinks? Who's like trying to yes nudge up with with Barry on the plane? Yeah, who's insisting on sitting next to Barry? It's mm-hmm. an interesting one. Can't just it's going to be it's going to be one of the younger guys who thinks he can maybe get into the you know get some start or there's just a massive souk in that dressing room. I can't think of many massive suits, to be fair. Well, 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 that's what I was thinking. I can't really... There's no one that really looks like that sort of... It's going to be, you know, telling on you. It shouldn't be difficult because the squad's not big. Um, Um, Dante. Dante will be FaceTiming by Robson every minute of every day, just reminding him that he's still here. (laughs) Definitely. Great shout. There we go. And and, and Barry Robson's doing that Zoom cop-out of just... Yeah, yeah, Dante. Yeah, that sounds good. Good. Either oh, that, boss, you, oh boss, you've frozen up again. <laughs> Either that or the alternative to this is he will be sitting next to Barry Robson, but Dante is probably the most intelligent guy at the club. He'll be sitting there trying to explain to Barry about how planes work. <laughs> and Barry will be having none of this shit. Like, he doesn't care. He'll just be bored out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's what's going to happen. Anyway, right, let's move on. Um, Doug at Doug Smart Night, one's asking f- favourite Aberdeen kits. So really quick, Gav, go home and away. Um... I, I loved the away tops last year. Maybe not my favorite, but that's the first that comes to mind. Okay, home. Oh, um, I quite liked the Nike one with the collar, and it was like half and half, like the two different shades of red. The one that we wore the first season, Miller was here. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the kit we had, the kit we had when we beat Rangers on like the first day of Petaudry. Three two. Last day of Petaudry. No, you're thinking about the one we we wore that the two 0 game. I yes, yes, yes. That's the one okay. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quite okay. like that. There we go. Graham. I liked the collar one as well, but for sort of sentimental reasons, I'm going to pick the home kit of, you know, like the really shitty ribbed one with the, was it the Cox Sportif? Yep. Because that must have been one of the first ones I had. That would have been around about that era that I would go. And I think we had that for, did we have that for Berlin? Yeah. 2002, 2003. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's more of a sentimental pick. And then away, um, I quite like that Bumblebee's kit. That we took to Madrid. <laughs> oh, well, it's, 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 it's good that someone did. Yep. Well, that was like uh, your historic connection to <laughs> the older colours from back in the day. Right, and then it's hard for me to pick anything but from home kit, the one from last season, classic, and a very, very good representation of the 83 kit, so well done till evolved. And right now, it's hard to look past the Northern Lights away kit because it's absolutely sensational. But I guess if I was going to be really serious about it, I would say the away kit from the 92 to 94 season, the Navy with the Pin the, the gold stripes. Beautiful. Oh, there we go. Done. Um, were they picking the one that they had um, number 19 in booth advertising where they were doing the whole men the in black, black thing? The men yeah. in black. Yeah. Uh, keep your eyes peeled on that one. Keep your eyes peeled on that one. <laughs> Coming soon. Um, Leighton Sinclair is asking Was Davy Boy Cormac's latest partridge moment going full kit wanker? I'm totally here for it, but is he now leaning into it? All I want is confirmation that he did, in fact, pay for the postage of that kit. <laughs> Oh, how, so pay for it, and how did he get his all the way out there before mine was available to collect? Yeah, That's well, the real the, question. These are questions that need to be asked. Yes. Um, 
there better not be favours going on at the top exactly what I will say is when I did collect mine obviously the place was really busy but really really well organised as it usually is these days in the, the club shop and just really good to be in and around and just see people in you know buying stuff people excited to get kits for the new season it's quite a good feeling when you go down and everything's going well at the club Yes, indeed. Um, all the credit in the world to the guys in the shop, Jason Hill, and also the the, the ticket office guys as well. Um, Jamie Howell and Co. They deserve a lot of credit. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. Excellent. But yes, I, I kind of I like the idea that Cormac is now almost like I feel like I always think like when Slatan you know comes out with this crazy quote, it's better. You think oh, it's you know it's kind of funny, and then you think, well, I hope he's now actually he's aware and he's playing up to it. So I've kind of ho- hoping that Cormac is aware. Of maybe some of these things, he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna play up to it, um, and it's a pretty cool kit to be having the full bifta, so I can see why he's doing it. Um, Paul Ramsey, this links into Dave Cormack. Paul Ramsey at Pdram. Have you guys tried to get Dave Cormack on the show? Not for this episode, obviously. Well, obviously not for this episode, but please, Paul, um, keep your eyes peeled. That's all I'm gonna say on that one there. Um, Robbie Greenhorn, as much as Europe's fantastic, and we're all looking forward to, it. even if we lose every game, we're guaranteed X million of pounds. Should our main focus still though be on finishing third? to ensure that the team, i.e., should we ensure the team that plays on the Sunday is the strongest it can possibly be? I think so. I think, uh, well, I think I probably would prioritise the league and hopefully returning to the Europa League. Um, but I guess it goes back to that whole, what sort of squad do you end up with? Do you get one that you think is actually good enough to you know, be able to field a team on Thursday and a team on Sunday and they're both competitive? But I suppose if I had to prioritise something, I'd be prioritising the league with a view to trying to finish third again, to get back into European group stage football and then try and keep that cycle going and, you know, almost um, elevate yourself above the re- the rest of the competition because you're starting to get that money on a regular basis. It's it's a tricky... I don't see the point in qualifying for Europe to then set yourself up to be the whooping boy every Thursday. So I'm, yeah, I would be definitely trying to make, make a market in Europe. And if by some minor miracle we could get through past Christmas, then the money there is, you know, it's it's very significant for a club like Aberdeen. And I think as well, like last season, Poise showed that there's time for you post-Christmas, still do enough to get yourself into a position where you can challenge for third place. So um, yeah, a healthy, a healthy balance uh, is the way that I would approach this. Um, Definitely, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be looking at any game with the view of other than let's get a very strong 11 out. Uh, Gareth at Death on Credit Zero wants the inside line on the new coach of ours. I think we've done that already. So that's fine as best we can. I don't, know how to, don't know how to pronounce his surname, but I, know. I couldn't find a podcast from Dinamo Brest to come and talk to us, unfortunately, about him. So there we go. Um, Andrew at FunkyBeat underscore five. In your view, what additions do we still need to the squad this summer? He thinks a minimum of five or six quality players, especially in defence and midfield. Um, yeah. Um, uh, it's hard because we we don't know exactly how Robson's going to line us up. But if we're going with my thinking that it's going to be a back three um, and just the same formation as we played for most of the second half of last season, then I'd say we need a left wing back, a left-sided centre. At that point, I'd say... That all being well that you know Duke Miofsky, everyone else sticks around. The eleven is probably there for me, and then we just need strength and depth in pretty much every other position in the in the team. Yeah, I think I would probably agree with that. Uh, and I, yeah, I guess with a number of games and hopefully trying to make you know be competitive, you there's a 
but I suppose there's a point where you do just need to get some numbers in there, like you said, maybe some loan signings for kind of emergency cases, but that we need to get some good quality on the bench so that when we do have to make changes, whether it's in-game or um, for rotation and stuff like that, that the guys that come off the bench are, you know, there's not the the big drop-off in quality versus the the starting eleven that there maybe has been in seasons gone by. And I know that's quite difficult to do with a relatively small budget, so that's maybe me wanting something I'm not going to get. But um, I think at this stage... It's quite early on in the transfer window, so let's. I'm hoping that we are focusing on who we want. We're prioritising the quality at this stage, and if we need to fill the squad up a little bit later on in the day, well, fine. We'll just see who's available. I think it's an interesting point because there's a few other questions that come later on about this, and Gav's just touched on something there, which we can maybe talk about now because it does um, it, it reflects some of the other questions that have come up, which is around: Do you think we expect to see Robson stick with the back three, or do you think we we see a change of formation from him? I think a lot of people seem to be looking at something that Reese Williams said in his interview um, when he signed, where he was talking about how um, the manager had said, I, I expect you to come in and be an integral part of the back four. Um, now, whether that's just a slip of the tongue or whether that's just, you know, whatever's happened there. I wonder if we are looking at a back four this season or whether we stick with back three. Because if we go back, if we go to a back four, we probably look a bit, we've got numbers certainly in terms of the wider areas in the, in the squad now that you would look at the top end of the park and feel if you keep Duke Miofsky, you've got Sokler in now, you've got Babbage, you'd expect to try and be pushing a bit more and to try and get to the first team. You'd have Vinny, you'd have Shaden Morris. We just still don't know enough about Shaden Morris right now um, other than his agency skills. <laughs> um, you might think, well, you've got Ryan Duncan who could play off either of the flanks. You've got Leighton Clarkson who could play as a 10 if needs be. You would kind of maybe look at that and say, maybe if you get one more creative midfielder type in, I know that the Tony Oteklich stuff is still ongoing although it has gone a bit quiet but I think it's because that deal's a little bit more complex to try and get done the top end of the park probably looks okay to one extent the centre of the park I think the, the the starting back three is settled now it'll be Ramadani Clarkson Shinny you'll have Barron presumably still kicking around as well so you maybe need another one maybe in there but it's the defensive area I've got the biggest feed on whether we go back four or back three um, where I think we need still to get more bodies in but do you think we, Gav, you've said you expect a back three. Graham, you think he's going to keep with a back three or do you maybe think something different from him? I'm not sure why he would change it, given that it worked out rather well for him. I know he sort of tailed off a little bit towards the end and didn't get, you know, maybe some great performances and or results. But I'm sure there's more reasons to that other than just the formation. I feel like if it'd be working for him, I'm not sure why he would change it unless he just felt that was... He had to do that to get the most out of the players available to him at that point. And now, obviously, he's he's got the job. He's got his window to to build a squad that suits how he actually wants to do it. But it just seems a bit strange that he'd have found something that works and then decide that's not what he wants to do going forward. I don't see why you would shift Leighton Clarkson anywhere other than where he was in that quarterback role, given how well he played it. Do you, think there's a clue in the, do you think there's a clue in the squad number he's been given? No. Just think it's a, th- just, it's no, just just, a thing? Just, just, just a thing. Um, Shaden Morris was number seven last year. Yeah, true. Shaden Morris is not a number seven. Um, well, we don't really know what Shaden Morris is, other than well, a fucking well, grey agent. Well, anyway, um, I don't see why you'd change that with and not have like, you know, Ramadai and Shinny in the more advanced positions doing the kind of bulk, box-to-box work. That could still lead to you playing a sort of 4-1... Four one type formation, but then you're probably putting Duke in a wider area. I don't see why you take him and Miofsky apart. 
I think I think it'll be a back three. I think we're just waiting to get that um that left sided defender in first. Mm-hmm. Neil at Harry underscore Duncan. That's confusing. Anyway, uh, saying he listened to the McKimmy interviews yesterday, we could revisit some of those predictions during those episodes. Well, Neil, it's almost as though you've read our minds because that's exactly what we're going to do later on. <laughs> a minute or two. Um, at Don Bean Leone, should the fans start the season with lowered expectations in terms of league position, fixtures, fatigue, increased injuries, and other teams improving could all <laughs> negatively affect us. The lessons from Hearts last season all point that way. I mean, I could say yes. That's not going to change anyone's view. <laughs> um, no, I think. Uh, Let's be honest. Hearts threw third place away last year, they did, despite yeah. what they, despite having to play eight games in Europe. So, no, it's um, you can definitely still achieve it. But unlike Hearts, we need to actually actually have like a a proper squad to cope with the fixtures, and you know, not have Robbie Nielsen in charge at any point. So I go. I know you were in favour of him last year. Yeah, that's how I remember it as well. Uh, I think it's a good question. I feel like. I sh- from my point of view, the expectation shouldn't change. It's just, should I be prepared to accept something other than third in the league? And again, it's really difficult to answer right now because if we're crap in Europe and we don't finish third, then it's almost like, well, what was the point? But say if you did have a really good run in Europe and got out of the group stages, for example, but your league form falters, I'd probably look at that and say, well, that was still quite good. It was still a successful season as in we actually competed in Europe, which would be you know, which would be really quite important to do. So it's kind of difficult to say right now, but I suppose if you have to do something, you probably just want to probably want to finish third again and try and build this sort of head of steam of getting into meaningful competition in Europe and try and build up some cash. Yeah, I'm trying to think what happens at the moment, whether we even get a group stage again for the third place finish next season. I'm not sure you do. Um, yeah, at some point that must... But the, 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 the positive would be if you do the groups and you do all, you do okay, like you don't get you're not whipping boys in the groups, and hopefully your coefficient or your 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 ranking number should be better, and therefore uh, you might so be you maybe in a playoff draw, for example, rather than well, yeah, and then you know hopefully you've if you've got a little bit more money, you know maybe you improve the squad a little bit, which gives you a better crack yeah. at the qualifiers if that's where you end up. So I still think it would all make a difference, but um, yeah, maybe I suppose at some point it is going to change, isn't it? That we're not going to just get into group stage football yeah on a related point and our footballing encyclopedia of a friend Stuart was unable to answer this question but if we were able to get past the qualifiers in the Europa League and go in the groups and if we managed to finish third yeah. do we then drop into the cockpits for the knockouts I'm 99.9% certain you do this is the last year I think that'll happen because I know that's how it works with like all UEFA competitions is that you get pumped out of one and get thrown into something else so i'm sure that for the year we're about to go into that works because i read something the other day that west ham could th- will possibly be theoretically the only conference league team who could retain the trophy because they could get knocked out of the europa league in the group stages and then drop into the conference league but i think it changes at the end of this season which is part of the reason why it's like if you could get europa league and you got an okay draw you get yourself a copenhagen in there yeah yeah and, yeah. and ali miller and a Jamie Smith, and you know, he'll be and a Ricky Foster and a Richie and a Richie Byrne. He'll be fucking ready to go. Um, uh, Richie Byrne. So yeah, I think it's possible. Um, anyway, there's one question at the end which I want to come back to because it's uh, loads of people have asked it. We've already asked this about formation. Um, what should happen with Vinnie Richardson? Vinnie Richardson, Vinnie, comma Richardson, Morris, Stuart, McKenzie. 
should or will there be places in the squad for them? There will be a place in the squad for Jack McKenzie because A, he's under contract for quite a period of time and B, because he's a Scottish homegrown player who's come through our system, which is important when it comes to the UEFA um, squad list you need to submit. You've got to have a certain number of eight homegrown players, I think it is, uh, within your squad, whether that counts as being homegrown through the Aberdeen system or they've got to come through the youth system in a Scottish team. So there will be a place there for Jack McKenzie. I suspect with Vinny, yes, I think there will be. I think Robson will try to get a tune out of Vinny this season. Jaden Richardson, I'm very intrigued about to see whether or not how, what sort of work they do with him over the, the close season. And at the end of the day, we've touched it before, we paid a transfer fee for him. He is under contract for another two years, I think. Yeah. Um, we will need backup in the right back, right wing back area to Nicky Devlin. I'm presuming Nicky Devlin will be first choice in that position to begin with. I don't expect he'll be on the biggest of salaries. So he might be something they try and keep around. Morris, I, I still, I'd, I'm just trying to think if I've ever actually seen Shaden Morris on the pitch for Aberdeen when I've actually been at a game. I'm not telling him as they have. Uh, were you not there when him and uh, Mark Kennedy led the line against, against the Hibs? Hibies? I was there for that. I completely forgot about that. That might be the only time I've seen that. Anthony Stewart, we're going to come on to in a minute as well. But what do you think? Are there places in the squad for all these guys? I think there probably is right now. Um, Bajawin, I think, is in the last chance saloon. Yeah. But um, he's still got, what, three years left to go on his contract? He is growing his hair out again, which is an encouraging sign. I think that uh, shaving his head was a big mistake as far as <laughs> taking his powers away. Um, you know, he's just he's got to show what he's got as a player once again. Um, because I think we saw it when he first came in. And then I think he just got caught up in being this kind of pantomime villain, you know, trying to just get involved with opposition players and trying to win fouls that are never fouls and not concentrating on his ability so uh hopefully maybe you know not having a great first season last year taking a chance going to excelsior that didn't really work out either um he'll recognize the importance of this time in his career if he wants to if he wants to truly make a name for himself um richardson my opinion hasn't changed on richardson since the last time i saw him i don't think he's an aberdeen player and i think he's got too much to learn to become one and I don't think this is the place for him to do that um but you know purely on the basis of just bulking up the squad I think we're I think it's unlikely we're gonna like you know get back the money we spent on him so for the purposes of strength and depth yeah keep him around uh Morris file and in the exact same category from what I've seen I haven't seen enough to say that's an Aberdeen player I don't even think the system we're gonna play will even require him um, but again, he's got three years left on his deal, and I don't think we're going to get that money back. So, yeah, another chance. Who else is there? There, uh, Mackenzie, for the reasons you've probably mentioned, will be around. I don't think he should. Um, Plus, he's left sided. He's a, he, if we go back to the him being left sided does play in his favor. Um, sure, I would get rid of right now if I could. But um, yeah, for UEFA criteria, goddamn UEFA, uh, I think he'll stick around. And Stuart. <laughs> Who needs a left-sided centre-back when they've got Tony Stewart? We'll come on to that in a minute, Tony Stewart. Um, a couple more on this, very quickly. Uh, so, Spirit Tradition at Stuart Fisher, we already talked to a couple of bits, but he's just asking, does the away strip suit the chairman? I've not seen anyone that the away strip suits so far. You're saying that, Gav, but... <laughs> uh, left Peggers at Left Peggers is asking, can Barry build? We know he can organise and motivate and make a team, but can he build a squad? He could build an 11. We saw that last year. 
when he came in. This is uncharted territory for him, isn't it? it is so we're, 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 we are going to find out, but this is uh, this is the this is the risk we've taken with Barry Robson. Um, he was there was no doubt about it. He was the only option for the job after uh, a period of time, and when he got the job, it was inevitable. Um, yeah, we're going to find out. I mean, he's played under a lot of managers who have gained experience firsthand of what that looks like. He's been in and around with McInnes when when Derek McInnes was doing that as well in a coaching capacity. So, yeah, it's a test. I'm 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 encouraged so far by what we've done. I do think that there's maybe we're still a bit light where I'd like I, us I think to be. I, I think a bit light is being very polite, Gavin. Well, I would have I would have liked to have had a bit more on the plane of Portugal. Is, it is it is the second of July. We're okay. There's still time. Uh, yeah, it'll be, it's the test. It's the next test run uh, as a manager. But I think like every other uh, challenge he's come up against, he's going he's gonna to rise to it. Well, I'll say, I would have liked to have seen more people in before we went to Portugal. I'm more than happy if we sit back and wait to get the right people rather than just having had bums on seats on the plane, to be honest. so Which is, um, yeah, yeah. More, more the by Robson approach, less the Stephen Glass, hey, Jack, what are you up to? Indeed. Uh, Left Peg has also asked what formation Barry's going to play next season, but he also suggests possibly a, a 4-5-2, which would be an outrageous um, an egregious bending of the rules. But you never know. The SPFL might not pick up on it, so never mind. Unless he's just saying we don't go with a goalie. Possibly. Uh, he's also asking, is Alan Burrows totally ace? Certainly seems to be so far. I have yet to see any evidence to the contrary. Indeed. If nothing else, the, a little inside... Um, Scoop for people. So anyone who might have re- might have listened back to the Alan Burroughs interview, it was episode 104. If you've not listened to it, go check it out. Um, Gavin rather cheekily decided to stick the Kevin Owens theme music in ahead of the interview with Alan Burroughs. And the first thing that happened when we sent it back to Alan just to make sure he was happy with it before it went out to be aired, within about five minutes of having it, he just picked up instantly on the fact that it was the Kevin Owens theme tune on it and didn't bat an eyelid about it. So there you go. That's tells you everything you need to know about just a guy who totally gets it, engages with it, and just rolls with anything that's happening. Great stuff. Wait until he sees the Fight Burroughs Fight t-shirt still coming out on AB24 soon enough. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings up, I think, a lot of the questions that have been asked so far. There's two more, I think, um, that I want to quickly touch on. Because um, Bobby Soggy Biscuit has asked, just to talk about Colin Woodthorpe, I think I'm the only one on the call who has any recollection of Colin Woodthorpe. Um, he was pish. That's all you need to know. There we go. Uh, Derek Beagery at Beagery316 asks, Gav, this is more aimed at you, I think. Was mm-hmm. Jay pinning Roman the best ending for the bloodline? And it, it, he's asking as well from a Don's point of view, what's happened with Liam Scales? Um, well, I don't think it's the ending for the bloodline. But as far as money in the bank goes, it was, yeah, absolutely the right call. I was well, worried, right they, were, I was worried they were going to do something really stupid. What, like not give, what, like not give the briefcase to LA Knight? On that as well. Yeah. Um, but I thought they'd like do something like break up the Usos, which would have been horrendous. <laughs> yeah. A um, swerve for the sake of a swerve, as Vince Russo would once say. Um, and the footballing question was regarding Liam Scales, what's going on? Let's be honest with you, Celtics have been in a uh, <laughs> they've had a Celtics, great week, Celtics priorities have probably been away from the future of Liam Scales this summer. <laughs> so it wouldn't shock me if, you know, if we are to arrange something with Celtic over Liam Scales that comes further down the line. But I'm also of the view that we need to get people in as soon as possible. So can we afford to just wait in the hope more than anything else that we can get Scales back? I thought he was great. 
towards the end of the season showed a lot of talent in that left-sided centre-back area. But it's all about uh, it's all about the timing. Graham, Liam Scales, I'm not going to ask you about Jay Russo. Jay Russo, Jay Russo, Jay Russo, pinning Rome Reigns at one of the back. I'm not going to ask you about that because why would I? I have literally no idea what you're talking about. That's fine. But what about um, Liam Scales? Do you have any clue about that? I think I remember that guy. He didn't pin anyone though, did he? Uh, not that I remember. Uh, no. Got porches down. He got taken into a headlock. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, I think as time goes by, I'm probably less fussed about having him back. Actually, I think he was. But he did, I think most of the, the time he did a decent job. But yeah, I don't think I'm that fussed. Um, and I'm not sure. I feel like if it was going to happen, would we not have seen or heard something by now? And but you know, as in we've had him on loan from a club in the league for all season. That's long enough for even under the appreciate we changed the manager now, but even under Robson, it's long enough for him to get a view of does he like Liam Scales as a player? Is he going to fit with what he wants to do with the team, whether that's the same setup as he's played previously or he's going to change it? It's enough for Scales to know does he like being an Aberdeen player? It doesn't mean you just sort of finish the season and do a deal, but kind of think in that situation would you not have been having this sort of working away in the background to the point where it would have been wrapped up pretty pretty close to the season being over because even you know on the like Celtic will have been watching him or being aware and probably thinking yeah he's either getting better we're going to take him back or ah, we all get someone else um, I don't know maybe the managerial change there has maybe changed things a little bit but you know I guess unless Scales is really vocal about wanting to leave um, so I don't I feel like it would have happened and I don't think I am if he comes back fine if he doesn't I'm not sure it's a massive loss in the way that you know, if Clarkson hadn't come back I think that would have been a big loss it's a funny one I think if um, I think if Postacoglu's still been at Celtic I think he'd have probably already been an Aberdeen player by now <laughs> Liam Scales yep um, I think the manager will change out of Celtic might hinder things I think I don't think Celtic are back to pre-season until I think I read it earlier on today. I think they're back this week coming. So whether Brendan Rodgers decides he wants to take a look at everybody coming back in and see how they do and he's going to give everyone a clean slate or whatever. But he'd have also thought somebody's been taking them aside and been like, these are, this is the squad and these are the guys who really weren't getting much of a look at. Well, and, and Rodgers is a massive Celtic fan, so he's probably been keeping abreast of the games. He probably knows what Liam Scales has been doing. Exactly, you're absolutely right, Graham. Definitely. Well, but also more to the point, he will probably be aware that the defensive players they brought in in January were not particularly good. So whether that will force his hand into thinking, well, Scales has done a very good job in the league. He's, he probably fits the kind of Brendan Rodgers mould for a defender, mm-hmm. as far as just being very good with the ball at his feet. So that, I think from all accounts, Liam Scales wanted to come to Aberdeen. When he was here last season, he made a lot of sounds about that to people in the city. But maybe a new chance under a new manager might make him think that, let's give this another go. So, yeah, yeah. I guess it's kind of a watch the space moment. But I'm kind of of the view of Graham as well, that the longer it goes on, the less I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Or it'll be something that happens towards the back end of the transfer window where it becomes clear that Celtic decided to do what I'm after all. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go off and do pre-season and maybe I'm presuming Celtic are going on a tour somewhere I wouldn't be surprised if he goes off on that and then it maybe goes a bit quiet for a bit but then maybe it comes back around again um anyway the, the biggest question everyone keeps on asking about is about um 
the players who've returned to the club from their loan spells at the end of last season. We've kind of touched on Bajowin earlier on, and it's not really much about Bajowin so much. Anthony Stewart. So Anthony Stewart came back to um, Comer Park a day after everybody else during the week. Um, loads of questions on this. So I mean, like Willie Davidson asks, do you think that over-the-top criticism of players on social media actually does affect the club's view on who they should retain? Um, Stewart in Willie's view, was a decent player in many games last season, but in his opinion, it's getting to the stage where he'd find it almost impossible to play. Um, Kev's wag, same sort of thing. The fans are being brutal with Anthony Stewart. Do you think it's possible for everyone to give him a clean slate? Or is there no way back for him? Uh, Mikey B, some fans are giving me the fear talking about giving (laughs) Anthony Stewart another chance at the club. Surely he has to move on. I think that probably captures all. Anthony Stewart... It's probably the biggest conundrum of the players who are on the books already that Barry Robson's going to have to deal with, I think. Does Anthony Stewart realistically have a future at Aberdeen Football Club, do you guys think? I think the very fact that Robson's first major act as a manager was to punt him out on loan says a lot. Um, And then the fact that he went to MK Dons, was injured, came back in, but obviously didn't really make much of a difference. They ended up getting relegated. Um, I, I hear this and I think people maybe think that he's targeted almost solely for the Rangers semi-final but I just remind people of you know Darville and Hibbs and Sintman in a way and Rangers at home and Dundee United away anytime we spoke to someone from out with Aberdeen like another team podcast everyone made the same comment that he's not an Aberdeen player never mind an Aberdeen captain um, he's not as good as Angus McDonald. I'm very much hopeful he's not as good as Reese Williams. If he is, we're, we're in danger. I think there's too much. Um, there's a, there's too much baggage there from uh, support. And I mean, he can't have had a particularly enjoyable six months here as well. Um, I, I genuinely believe that it's best for everyone involved for just him to find himself a new club and, uh, and part ways because... I'd, I don't think it's going to go well if he sticks around. That would be like Declan Gallagher having another year. It just, it wouldn't work. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, oh There were games where, when he just had to do actual defending, I didn't think he was that bad. It was just, I think he suffered from Goodwin's insistence on us playing a certain way, which required him to play some football. And that's just, it's just not what he's got in his locker. Um but, but do you think, think it comes back to the question that somebody asked there about? And sorry, I've forgotten who's, who it was. Do you think that the the club sometimes as well, especially now in an age of like social media and stuff, do you think that the club and that are ever cognizant about just how not how badly it would go down? But this is a guy who clearly he's on a hiding to nothing. Let's be honest, right now, and they just go, you know what? It's just best for everybody involved here if he just moves on. I think Barry Robson will be aware of that. Regard, I would love to be a fly on the wall when a little like intern at Pitaudry rocks up to Robson with an iPad saying, oh, Barry, check what they're all saying on Twitter. Yeah, I don't think Barry Robson gives a shit about stuff like that. Um, I think- it's not going to affect Barry Robson, but I think he'll no. know just from being a player himself. And there's probably been times in Robson's career when he was at a club where he wasn't the best thought of, or he's seen teammates experience the same thing. He'll know that it's the best thing for everyone that Stuart finds a different club. I guess as simple as that. Also, also, Jim Goodwin's insistence on playing it from the back isn't the reason that Anthony Stewart teed up Scott Arfield at Audrey with a defensive header. I'm not saying he hasn't made, you know, if you want to go through that, 
and pick on one individual in that defence, I think that's a little harsh. Well, Jaden uh, did the same thing. single him out, there was some utter nonsense being, uh, you know, on display. So uh, I think, I, I, I don't think the, the club or Robson's specifically looking through comments, but they'll obviously be aware of the sort of the probably overwhelmingly negative view of Tony Stewart from his first six months. And I guess the player's going to be well aware of that as well. So I think it might just be might just be a little too far gone on both sides. Unless, of course, Stuart decides he you know he doesn't want to move and he really wants to prove himself or fight for his place, it might make it harder to move him on. Um but I think probably like Adam said, the fact that is Robson's like first action was to loan out your club captain and now he has the job permanently, that probably says quite a, quite a lot. Um, and also now for Anthony Stewart, he now returns and the captaincy has been taken from him yep. officially now as well. You know, of that that always very convenient in a way last year when it was like, well, he goes so I can appoint Shinny as captain. Fine. He obviously now comes back now, having left here as, as club captain at the time, and he comes back in now to find this guy's now the captain. And I guess that... I always wonder how things like that play out with a with a player sometimes. Stuart wasn't a captain anywhere else before, so does he think it's that big a deal? Maybe it may be good for him. Maybe it takes away the weight of expectation off but, him a little so bit. So maybe, yeah, I was thinking, because he's coming back to, like, Shinny is a captain. You know, I think Shinny will embrace that and relish that, and people will look to him and see those qualities in him that I guess you would want your captain, so that sort of leadership and motivational stuff. So he'll be very Great visible. <laughs> but he'll be very visible in that captain's role. So you've got your old captain coming back to see the new captain who is very much the not quite sort of focal point, but you know, popular with the fans, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas maybe if you if they'd appointed someone who was not as bothered, a bit more reserved, you can maybe sort of muscle your way into it again, if you like, you know, if you're a bit more dominant, but he's not gonna he's not gonna come back and start to out captain Shinny. So you're right, his status has dropped from that point of view. Now, that may or may not bother him. Like you say, he might be like, well, yeah, this is actually fine because I can fly under the radar maybe a little bit more and just get my head down, work on training and stick it out. Or he might just be of the opinion, well, if I'm coming back to not be the captain, probably not be a first-team player, then uh, then I want out. And I feel like he's, he's, he's at an age where it's probably not great for him to be sitting on the bench um, and I also think he's quite far away from his family. So if he's not getting anything from it from a footballing point of view, he might just decide he wants to disappear. So it, it's an interesting one. But I think probably overall, it's probably too far gone for him to to recover. What um what squad number was Stuart last year? Five. Five. I think it was five. Well, I saw that Reese Williams has got the number five jersey in Portugal. So that is just... clearly not a Tony Stewart jersey because that... Reese Williams is massive. Yeah, so that again might just tell you yeah. something, I guess, um, around where Barry Robson sees his potential future. That's also quite funny. Um, just because the only reason I spot that is because I've been tweeted out something since we've been recording, which is Steve Agnew just talking about the the training sessions they're putting through, and Steve Agnew looks absolutely fucking delighted at the prospect of sticking these boys through double sessions in this heat. He looks sadistic as bits mm. about it. This is great stuff. That's what I'm here for. Um. There we go. I think let's um, let's let's go and look at quickly. Then let's move on away from listeners' corner. Thank you to everybody who's contributed with their questions. A load of good ones in there. 
good wins. <laughs> Freudian slip, if nothing else. Let's um, look at, we, we said we're going to do this, we're going to look back at, Tell you what, this thing resembles a UK entry into Eurovision because there is mil everywhere. Yeah, let's so I was gonna say we're gonna we said we'd revisit the predictions that we made at the start of last season. Somebody asked about it earlier on as well. So let's get down to business and look see who was top of the pops and who was not, let's be honest here. So um we had a bunch of different categories. There's one I, I can't even remember what that was meant to be, but never mind. So SPFL Premiership winners, the three of us went with Celtic for a clean sweep and it was Celtic who won it, so three points on the board for all of us there. To be relegated, uh, Gav, you went with... Motherwell and St. Johnston. Graham? St. Johnston. Johnston. Uh, Graham just thought there was only be one team relegated this season and right you were. There should be a bonus point here. Because um, I so selected... Had that bonus um, point on? I'll, I will. I'll do it right now. Uh, I selected Motherwell and St. Mirren to go down. Um yeah, shows what that I know. Out for you. Not very well. Um, <laughs> certainly not as well as it did though for Dundee United, who of course yeah, yeah, Dundee United did not even come into the conversation at any point on this. So no, uh, none of us didn't. saw quite. None of us had seen Birgitte yet at that point though. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, at this point, I think we did this just after the first set of League Cup. The first uh, League yes, Cup this maybe? was this was the episode where we previewed the Celtic game, the first game of the season. Okay, so. At that point, none of us could even have possibly foresaw the situation that Jim Goodwin would end the season as Dungeon 8 manager. So, I mean, I might be wrong, but I think they'd maybe beaten Alkmaar like that week. They possibly could have done. So, you know, our, 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 our optimism for Dungeon 8 season was clearly well placed at that moment in time, but never mind. Um, moving on, Premiership top scorer. I went with Boyamiowski. I was being very optimistic about our new striker, Gav. Yeah, likewise. And Graham. Uh, Jota. You put on those green and white tinted specs again. He might not have finished top scorer, but he finished uh, top scorer in another way. <laughs> Cashing in those checks. Indeed. Uh, of course, top scorer was Kyogo in the Premier League this season, so nil point across the board there. League Cup winners, uh, Graham, you and I selected the Dandy Dons to pick up the League Cup this season. Gav went all sensible and selected Celtic, so he picks up three points on that one. Scottish Cup winner, I fancied the Dons through the Cup double. I put Aberdeen here. I also think I said this on national radio that Aberdeen would win the Scottish Cup. So if you're looking for somebody to blame for the Darvel results. <laughs> yes, I believe you did. Yes, in, in conversation with Ray Bradshaw, if I remember rightly. I did. Gav, you also thought the Dons were going to break our Scottish Cup duck last season. Yeah, I thought this was going to be the year. Um, it, it, it hurt when I was watching that game on Monday night. No one had said that on a, on a public forum. <laughs> that was the only reason it hurt. That was it. Yeah, yeah. All but me. And Graham, who did you pick? Uh, Smeltic. Well, look at that. Graham's, Graham's selecting a lot of Celtic things in this opening set. I, I, found those, yeah, I found those glasses on your table. Thank okay, you. Cheers. So another three points in Graham's um, category there. Championship promotion. Graham, you went with? ICT. ICT, so nil point there. Gav, this was bold. Uh, I said Dundee and I, the audio really scrambled on the second part of my prediction. I can't really quite work out what I said. So uh, I heard it, thought I it was guess, very clear. I guess I must have said Park would get to the final and then fuck it. No, it, you said something along the lines of if you rearrange the words or the letters K and Ove together, um, that's who you went with as your other pick, which is startling. I, they certainly I, exited the division. I don't recall saying that. 
There we go. So three points for Gaffer getting Dundee right. And I went with Dundee and ICT myself. So I get three points in that one. League one winners. I was convinced, if you go back and listen to this, I was convinced Falkirk were going to finally get their way out of League One this season. How wrong nope. I was. <laughs> nope. Uh, Gav nailed it. Dunfermline. Graham, you went with Airdrieonians. So I'm going to give you a point and a half because, of course, they actually did come up through the playoffs. So lovely stuff there for you, boys. Uh, League Two. Gav, you went wild here with this. Uh, I just like saying the name. <laughs> if I'd known that Jamie Ham was the manager, I'd probably have not gone this way. But you did. But I did, and I jinxed their season, and I've spared them Jamie Hamill for another year. So, all works out. Exactly. So, you, you picked Stranraer. Yes. Um, Graham, you went with Forfer, who for a while were propping up League 2, um, but rallied towards the back end of the season. Did they make playoffs? I no, don't think so. Remember. No, they didn't make the playoffs in the end, but they, they weren't too far away. But I noticed this week that Ray McKinnon is apparently leading them to go to some team down south. Forest Green Rovers one, I was taken. Ah, which would make sense. The Duncan Ferguson link up. And uh, I picked Anne Athletic, who started the season in horrendous form, but then somehow managed to get themselves all the way back in through the playoffs and eventually got promoted. So I got a point and a half for that one there. Sterling Abbey, and of course, the eventual winners in League Two. Um, first sacked. Gav, what yes. were you thinking with this one? What were you thinking? What, Callum Davidson? Yes. That was that looked like an inspired shout in my part. But by this point, Motherwell had already been beaten by Sligo Rovers. In the first leg. They still, had the, they still, had, they still <laughs> had the return leg. They got beat at home by Sligo Rovers, Gav. Well, they didn't sack him straight away. So if he'd won, they're not going to then say, all right, cheers, Graham. Well, off, you pop, of off you pop now. Of course, Graham, who was it? It was Graham Alexander. Exactly. So who can you tell has been really smug about that here? It is you and I as we pick up another yep. three points in this one. This one is a doozy. Um, their breakout you premiership skipped over, star. You skipped over Highland League winners, by the way. Oh, did I? So I did. Highland League winners. Um, Graham, you went with the political choice. I did. I was pretty bloody close with that as well. You were pretty close, but close, but no cigar with Bucky mm-hmm. Thistle. Uh, Gav, you went with the... The Inverary Trains. The Inverary Trains, the Inverary Choo Choo's. And I went with Fraser United. I was expecting the Brock to, to follow up on last season to repeat. I was about to say three-peat, but it would be repeat. But they didn't. It was Breaking City who won the Highland League and then, of course, fucked it in the playoffs. So there we <laughs> go. Um, this yeah, Breakout Premiership star. So, Gav, who did you select for this one? Put the kibosh on this poor guy's career. Yeah. Uh, based on his you know, gradually, incrementally improving performances in the League Cup, I thought we'd see a big season from Mason Hancock. Graham, so who did you pick? A superstar, Adam Montgomery. Which I think you might have been a bit tongue-in-cheek about, to be fair, but never mind. Um, I went Mason Hancock as well, unfortunately. Um, I, who do we think was? The, this is Premiership. This is not just Aberdeen, obviously. Who would have been the kind of breakout Premiership star? I think there's an argument to be made for Leighton Clarkson. Yeah. Um, the lad at Motherwell, the right-back. Had a pretty good year, Max. Oh, Johnson. Max Johnston. Yeah, I would, I would add that. Especially because uh-uh. he got, well, he didn't have that good. Year. He had a very good six months. He was on loan yeah. at Cove for the first six months of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no one else really sticks out to me. I, I, that's the thing. I, I, I'm struggling, Graham. I, I'm struggling to think of any young player who's really had a particularly strong season this year. Who's kind of come that, out of nowhere? Yeah, no, I think that's probably fair. I can't think of anyone. The young that... lad at Kilmarnock. Came in, made a bit of a difference. Can't think of his name. 
that, that really helps. It does. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I guess if I was to look back, I'm sure you could pick some, but off the top of my head, like the way I always sort of judge it is I can't really think of anyone from teams that we have played or throughout the course of the season or like in the January window where we've been chatting about, oh, so-and-so looks good. Wouldn't it be good to try and do something to to get a deal done there? I can't think of anyone, not that it fits into this sort of young, where did they come from, breakout star kind of category. So, yeah, I don't really think anyone, well, definitely no one is jumping out at me. Yeah, I mean, Malik Tillman won the Young Player of the Year award, but no, for obvious reasons. Um, is there an argument that Duke is the breakout Premiership Player of the Year? Uh, well, certainly, uh, don't think any of us expected him to feature. It's a bit of an as age thing, isn't as it? He did. Yeah, he's twenty-three, but then I yeah. said, "Go, he was complete unknown." Yeah, yeah. It doesn't say young, does it? I suppose it just says breakout. So, yeah, he was probably the most surprising. Let's give it to Duke. Let's give it to Duke. It doesn't matter because none of us are picking up any points anyway. Uh, the next category was most likely to hibs oh, it. Oh, the irony. Oh, and the <laughs> irony here. It was a clean sweep for Hibs from us all here, but in reality, who Hibs it? There is no argument to be made here. Heart of Melodian. <laughs> yeah, it's zero points for all of us, but let's be honest, I'm fucking delighted. <laughs> I think as well we did this next category based on the fact that this result had already happened which was most embarrassing result in Europe because we all picked on Sligo against Motherwell but in reality I think the answer is different to this well I mean I think you can just put in all six matches of Rangers Champions League <laughs> um, group stage um, for the no- I mean I see that you've put Liverpool 7 uh, Rangers 1 at Ibrox as the most embarrassing result. From a knock-on perspective, is there an argument you said that it's AZ Alkmaar? Smashing United, what, 7-0? Oh, it's a good point. I mean, I really, I just stuck that one in because... Given that United, were, given United were selling, you know, the 1-0 canvases and making it as though it's the biggest achievement in their modern history. I've just done the Hulk Hogan oof, there because maybe you're right, Gav. Oh, it's a hard one. Because that, I mean, that... Not necessarily directly, but if you look at just the absolute shambles that was their season, you could point fingers at it catastrophically could go wrong early on, but it didn't really change that much for them over the course of the season. People were looking at what they'd done in the summer, you know, getting Leviton, uh, McGrath, Fletcher. I think people thought they were genuinely building a not-too-shabby team. They beat Alkmaar at home, which was a good result, and then went and just got absolutely smashed, and then their season just went off a cliff. Never to be recovered. Maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it is United against Alkmaar. I'd say it is. I kind of want to put Sevco in because it was really funny and it was them and like it was really funny. But maybe, I mean, United, it, it was funny as well. It was funny and I guess you'd say it's worse because yeah. it was 7-0. I think you're right. I'm going to go, I'm going to switch the answer because it doesn't matter because we're all, we're all wrong. We're all wrong anyway. I'm going to go Alkmaar 7 United zero, especially I think if nothing else, because they were selling the limited edition print after the first leg, that alone makes it worthwhile. So and because of the catastrophic chain of events that then fall off the back of it, yeah. Make no mistake, Liverpool Liverpool and Rangers was very funny. As if anything, just because it reminded you of how old Alan McGregor is on some of those attempted <laughs> saves. Yeah. It was like they had Mr. Burns in the sticks. Yeah. And <laughs> it was great because that then got re-emphasized obviously towards the end of the season when Liam Scale was this one just sailed over his head. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, right, best pie. This was us. This was definitely a forecast. This was definitely a prediction. 
Gav, you and I both went with the... Well, I went with the steak and creature pie in theory, because it does sound great, but I have to say I was very disappointed by it. Okay, no, Graham, you went with the Ross County staggy pie, the classic venison. Yep. Um, I think we're going to have a mixed bag on this for what we actually think truly was the best pie of the season. Um, Graham, I'm Gav, I'm going to go to you. It wasn't the bean and tatty pie, I can tell you that. It certainly wasn't the bean and tatty pie, a horrendous decision by the club. Um, I did not have a standout pie at any point in the season, mainly because I can't afford them at Tawdry. <laughs> and um, yeah, the Schweizo and Stick one deeply disappointed me. So I'm going to say not applicable to this round. Okay, there we go. Okay. Jeez. It's down to you and I then, Graham. Um, This is difficult though, because then we've not all had the same. Well, so we I was going to say, yeah. it's not really a... We're not all sampling the no. same ones here, are we? So... I guess because I'm the eldest, I win. No, no, that's fair. Because I wasn't expecting to pick an AFC pie out of this list because generally they're, they're all right, they're average. But the AFC kebab pie ahead of the Samirin game wins this one, hands down. A sensational bit of business. They need to be yeah. a permanent installation. You're able to <laughs> afford a pie at Pataudry, how the other half Beautiful. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to have a nice little bit of chilli sauce through it. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> Lovely, brilliant stuff. Right, let's move on. Dawn's play of the year. Uh, this is again is kind of funny. <laughs> again, put the put the kibosh on this guy. So, Graham, Gavin, you picked. Yes. You both picked the same person. Yeah, but you've you've misspelled it twice. We put Duke, but you've put Barron in. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, that did not work out. Too. I mean, admittedly, injuries and stuff like that. But yeah, I thought he was. Um, I guess you can't know if he's going to be injury free or not. But yeah, I, I we thought we're all looking forward to see what Connor Barron yeah, did. Well. This Seen enough prior to that to to be reasonably enthusiastic about his prospects, and yeah, he never really yeah. didn't have after it. No In, injuries, and we at that point did not know we were going to be bringing Leighton Clarkson to the club and the level of yeah. talent that he would bring, which basically meant it was almost impossible for Baron to get back in the team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd went with Um Realistically, there's nobody else here, is there? It's... I mean, he won all three awards at the Player of the Year award. Yeah, it's Anthony Stewart. Um, <laughs> but this is where this is where this is great because I think at this point we'd have maybe seen Duke once. I guess Sterling Albion uh, made Sterling the and, Wraith. and Wraith, yeah, yeah. Um, there was no signs at all at that point about. I think uh, Tom Watt described him best thing last week about this looked like a guy who was going to score an overhead kick, but he'd miss a he'd miss a setter from three yards. Like there was no telling the kind of impact that he was about to have on our season. So. I don't think we can beat ourselves up too badly on, on this one. Yeah. Um, Don's breakout start was a clean sweep for this guy, Mason Hancock. Um, if you're listening, you know, we're all really sorry. Yeah, really sorry, Mason. Because re- he has been released, hasn't he? He, was on he has release. been released, yeah. He's been, he's been future endeavoured. I'm so sorry, Mason. We did this We did this show. He was almost immediately loaned out to Arbroath. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Suffered that knee injury quite yeah. early in his spell there. And... Uh, Future endeavoured in in May when we eventually announced our uh, our released list. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, buddy. If we had to select the Dawn's breakout star, then who is it? We kind of struggled a bit in the in the previous one about the Premiership. I mean, if we're throwing Duke in there, then it has to be Duke. Just just because what you said there, we Sterling Albion told you that we were getting a maverick. Jim Goodwin told us we were getting a very um, raw, raw. Yes. Uh, player that needed 
a lot of uh, a lot of work, a lot of polishing to become the finished article, and then he just became probably the most important player in our team. So I don't see where else you can look. No, I would agree with that. Well, well it's at least with the way the season was going at some point, and now you're looking back at it, it's quite satisfying to be saying, you know, we can pick breakout stars yeah. or players of the year because there was a period where these categories were just going to get the red pen through them, null and void. So exactly. uh, at least we'd have covered. If Alvi Bavage had scored a goal in the first team, I'd have put Bavage in as Don's breakout star, but he didn't, so that's it's not fair. quite there yet. Um, like I say, argument we made for Leighton Clarkson. Also, I don't think anyone expects from a January kind of panic signing for them to come in and become a massively important part of the team. Matty Pollock could also be a contender there. Fair point. Um, Don's top scorer, uh, Gav, you and I both went for Bohemiowski. Graham, you went balls to the wall here with Christian Ramirez. Um, now, yeah, you sang the song, Where's 99? Score some of the time. Yeah. Yeah. If only we'd stuck with him in that number 10 role, you could have could have been proven oh, right on that one. What a moment in the season that was, wasn't it? When Goodwin was just panicking and throwing any shit against the wall <laughs> in the hope it would stick. Fucking hell. Anyway, um, Miofsky and Duke tied on 18 apiece, so it's a point and a half apiece to you and I, Gav, on this one with our boy Miofsky shouts. And here we go, the Jack Gurr Memorial Award. I can't even remember what this was meant to be. I'm presuming it was meant to be the worst signing of the season across the league. That is correct, um, yes. So, Graham, you selected one of Hibbs's interesting signings. Yeah, you didn't give a name. Didn't give a name, just select, just just a broad brush approach to it. Yeah, I can't even remember who I had in mind at that point. I think uh, you might even think about you, Anne, to be honest. Yeah, um, uh, maybe. I think, so it was like, I think it was more like Rocky or that boy from Benfica they signed. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Gav, you picked Declan Gallagher. Yes. Who that? It had that? Yeah, he had gone by that point. Yep. Declan Gallagher can't win this award, can he? He did score a, he did score a goal at Pataudry against us, so. Um, yeah, and, you know, he's just been a bench warmer at St. Mirren. He's not played enough to be labelled the worst transfer of the, of the season. Yeah, I went with Ben Davis. Yes. Um, which also brought us around to the hilarious moment in a game where I mentioned Ben Davis in a preview for a Rangers game. And Gav, you just gave us the monumental movement about Ben <laughs> Davis, which was lovely. Oh, no, not Ben yeah. Davis. Um, who would it be? Who, Bitter Gatey. Yeah, it's probably quite hard to look past him. He was slightly hilarious. We will be renaming this award yeah. the Mark Bitter Gitty. Memorial <laughs> Award. Yes. Stevie may score twice past him. Yeah, that's pretty much saying what you need to know. Yeah, that is time to find a new trade. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, is he still there? Berigiti. Yeah. Uh, I think he had a two-year contract. That's somewhat delicious. So I've not paid close attention to United's... No, neither have I just felt it would have you know, popped up somewhere that would have seen it. So, yeah, maybe he's not there, but yeah. I'm happy, happy to go with him. That was a disaster yeah. signing. Who did you go for, Graham? Sorry, it broke up a little bit there. Uh, we decided, I think we both agreed, didn't we, Gav? Yeah. Birgitti. Birgitti. Yep. Didn't have to be a man, didn't have to be a player. It could be a horrendous managerial appointment you made midway through a season. <laughs> no, I think uh, we've been through that plenty of times, so I'm, I'm keeping my choice. Birgitti. I'm trying to think who I would even consider putting here. There is no one else. It is a bit of a struggle. He does seem like the standout candidate, doesn't he? One of the worst goalkeepers I've ever seen. And I've seen some crap. 
You have. You you really yeah. have, Gav, yeah. in fairness yeah. to you. Mainly occupying the Aberdeen goalkeeper shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Unfortunately. Really, I'm really struggling to think of anybody else I can contemplate giving this award to. Yeah, Mark Berrigitti, you're right. Absolutely, there we go. Um, we'll get a wee trophy made up and send it down to Tanadice for him. Um, there we go. That 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 finishes up our what we did on the predictions. I think the main thing, the main takeaway from this is that none of us have any idea what we're talking about, particularly in relation to our own team. <laughs> I don't know. Is that really a takeaway? I'm pretty sure anyone who listens to this is well aware that we well, that's what true. It's very we're talking true. about. It hasn't taken the review of the season just passed. Suddenly, some sort of bombshell news that oh, it turns out we just don't know what we're doing. What a season, Ethel! Like we talked about it a little bit at the back end of the, the episode last week, but just reflecting back on it, oh, Scottish football. I've never hell. known it. I've never known yeah, exactly. Just for us, though, what a season! How um, how mental that season has been. Our season's been crazy, but you know, on on different levels. I mean, you know, Hearts, Motherwell, United—they've all had you know. Everyone's been put through the ringer by this year, for sure. It's going to take a lot to live up to, to the 22-23 season. It really is. It really I is. I actually put Ramirez in there. Yeah, have yeah. You yeah. Just, have yeah. you just done me up like a kipper here? No, no, you, mm. for top scorer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you said... Uh, I'm not too lazy to go and find the episode to listen to, so... I think... Uh, I think what may have happened is that you said it sarcastically, but then never actually put forward... <laughs> but then didn't come up with... Yeah, okay. So um, yeah, I was it's thinking. Uh, I'd like I'd like to I'd like to be able to go back in time to my thought process at that point. I think you thought there was. Although I haven't said that he did score a reasonable number of goals actually in a pretty poor team, so he wasn't actually a terrible goal scorer. It's just all the other bits and pieces. <laughs> it it was more it. the point that you know, just a terrible human being. Jim, Go- it's more the point <laughs> that Jim Goodman was more likely to play Jack McKenzie up front than him. Yeah, <laughs> that made yeah, it no. a bizarre shout. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh well. So scores in the door when it all ends. Um Graham eleven and a half points. Um myself on twelve, but Gav is the man who knows it all on thirteen and a half. I really should have like totaled up what the maximum total could have been because then that would really put that into <laughs> No, no, I don't I don't think we need that. Let's not do that. Embarrassment over anyway, the embarrassment of these predictions. There we go. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks' time. Um yeah. Yeah. And we'll see what we th- what happens next season. Anyway. There we go. That'll do us for this half of the show. Join us after the break as we're joined by Craig Hicknett. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Siberia Bar, like us all, are praying for European nights this summer with the end of the season looming and the prospect of a big summer at Pataudry on the horizon. Make a night of it by visiting the bar pre- and post-match, grabbing some cheap drinks using the ABZ Todd discount, and even better, stay in the hotel after a big night of celebrations and get 15% off your stay in the hotel by booking direct to the Siberia Bar Hotel and using the code ABZPOD. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Um, before we move on to our interview with Craig Hagner, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund. This week, including Ross. Ross. Mark Robertson. Mark Robertson. You're the one. And Richard McClure. Brother of Troy. 
We see you, we acknowledge you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description. Um, I'm aware of the fact this has gone on a lot longer than we thought it was going to go tonight. So let's crack on now to the next installment in our line of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time a man who signed for Aberdeen amidst great fanfare in the summer of 1998 after departing from Middlesbrough. God knows how Alex Miller managed to persuade him to join up, but he did. He then went on to make 15 appearances in a spell at Aberdeen that was cut short, scoring two goals in the process. It is Craig Hignett. Craig Hignett, welcome along to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Very well. I'm, I'm busy, which is nice um, after the two years with, with COVID and what have you. But it's, um, yeah, it's it's nice to be back out watching football, doing after dinners and, and the general stuff. I'm watching Liverpool these days, so I work for, for Radio Merseyside covering Liverpool, which is a, a great job. Could be worse, I guess, couldn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, this season hasn't been great, but the, the previous three seasons that I've done have been absolutely unbelievable. So it spoils football a little bit for you because you see unbelievable football team every week. And then when I go back and, and watch some of my other teams, it's like watching football in slow motion again. So they've spoiled it a little bit for me. Absolutely. Let's just get started, shall we? Because um, born in Merseyside, January 1970. Just talk us through a little bit, Craig, about your kind of upbringing. And I guess... You know, you've just touched on it. Growing up in that region of the world, it's basically going to be impossible to escape the football bug, isn't it? Yeah, everything's football in Liverpool. You know, my dad was a a footballer. He he played himself. He he um he was an Everton season ticket holder. So growing up, I was I was going down to watch Everton with my dad. It's six years of age, seven years of age, already playing football by by that age for an under nines team. Um, and then when I was old enough and by old enough, I mean seven or eight. I started to go to Anfield with my mates. We had a little group of maybe three or four of us. Uh, it sounds crazy now to say it, but at seven and eight, we were we were going to watch Liverpool play at Anfield and, and standing in the cup. Um, and they were great days, you know, going back to them. It, it couldn't happen now. No. Um, but back then, it was just the norm. You know, I'd, I'd go, little four of us, seven, eight-year-old, get in the bus, walk into Anfield, Fellas who we didn't know would would take you in with them and say, oh, stand here, son, by this, um, by the barrier, so you don't get squashed, and I'll look yeah. after you." Um, it was all that, so it was every Saturday for me was was like an adventure. How did old man take it that you decided to switch from Everton to Liverpool? Listen, that's what just happens in Liverpool. If if your dad's an Evertonian, you're a Liverpoolian, and that's just <laughs> the way it went. I always went to Goodison and and felt it was because it was blue and white. It I was always freezing there. But I, I loved it. Don't get me wrong, I did. I really enjoyed it. And um, the minute I seen Liverpool, because it was red and it was all, it was it's so much warmer. It felt so much warmer. It, it was, um, it was just a different way for me. And 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 a place I could go without my dad, if you like. Yeah, yeah. my dad was a massive part of my my career and and my life. And really, my dad's the reason I was a footballer. Um, so I was, you know, 24 hours a day with my dad most of the time playing football, talking about football. He used to run football teams. Um, it was a massive part of his life. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was nice to have a little escape from him every now and again to go and watch football without him in my ear saying, oh, this is what he's doing. And that's what you, it was just nice to go and watch and, and just take it in without thinking about it. Yeah, it's always the difficulty, isn't it? Being the kind of, having the dad as the kind of like coach or whatever sometimes, isn't it? Like there's just always that, it's always yes, there, it was, omnipresent. My dad was... Right up until, you know, I, I 
I finished football. My dad passed away four years ago, but right up until my last game in football, he was there every game. He would go, even, you know, when I was manager a couple of times at, at Hartlepool, he would come up and, and look at the games and he would still give me some feedback. It was um, mostly bad stuff. But, <laughs> you know, you, I'd lived with him that long. I learned to, to take the good bits and discard all the other stuff. Absolutely. So, I mean, I read, obviously, you ended up going into the Liverpool youth system for a little while. Um, how was that experience? Well, I was at Everton first. I went to Everton as a, I think I was about 12. Okay. Um, and then I had a, a couple of seasons at Everton. Liverpool see me play when I was 14, invited me over, offered me a, an apprenticeship, a guaranteed apprenticeship, which Everton wouldn't do. Um, so I, I went to Liverpool at 14 and stayed there until I was 18, done my YTS there and um, left at 18. I got about a glandular fever when they were making decisions. Okay. They wanted me to stay on like extended, which I did for about two, three weeks. And he couldn't really make up the mind. And, and by that time, Dario Gradi had seen me play against crew for Liverpool. And the next day he was on the phone and offered me a, a two-year pro, which um, I'd spoke to Liverpool about. Liverpool still hadn't made the mind up, so he ended up going to crew. Of course, at that point, crew were, they were fourth division, I think, weren't they, at that point? Yeah. That right? Yeah, but obviously... Yeah, they were, they were fourth division. David Platt had just been sold to Aston Villa. They, they were... They had that conveyor belt going. It yeah, I was just going to touch on that. Yeah, um, as you know, Dario had taken over, got people like Jeff Thomas, David Platt, who'd, who'd started to move, and I was sort of a replacement for David Platt. Um, I was only eighteen, uh, but he, he followed the same model, really. Dario, we'd pick you from the bigger clubs. You'd been discarded a little bit, seen you had a bit of ability, and what he was brilliant at was coaching you and making you understand what your game was, what you needed to improve, how you needed to improve. Um, he was just, uh, I, I felt lucky when I went to crew because I'd, I'd got such a good coach who made me think about football in a way I hadn't thought about it before. I guess as well, in terms of like your formative career, that that youth career and then that first pro contract at crew, who would you say, I mean, Dario Gradi, obviously, but who would have been the big influences on you as well there from a coaching perspective? Well, my dad always. Yeah. Um, but Dario was really the number one. Kenny Swain was there as, as our he was like a, a player, assistant, manager. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for Kenny Swain. He was he was a really good pro. He looked after himself unbelievably well. And and was a really good sounding board. Um, but Dario really was the, the main man. We talked to a lot of guys, you know, in a kind of similar situation who they've maybe come through the youth setup at a big club, inverted commas, and it doesn't quite work out with them and they end up kind of maybe dropping down the pyramid or whatever to get a goal. For you, do you think as well, like in retrospect, looking back at your career, you know, was it, it's hard to say, it's a good thing you didn't make it through the Liverpool system, obviously. You'd have loved to have done it, obviously, but do you feel that, that kind of actually helped you later on in your career, doing that drop down of the kind of fourth division to just get started and get going? I think it helped me understand what real football was all about. Yeah. So when I was at Liverpool, obviously it's a fabulous club and it was doing unbelievable then as well. Um, Kenny Dalgish was manager. He's my idol, so... It, it was just everything about it was like a fairy tale being there. And the minute you step away from that and you go to a, what I call a real football club crew where you were washing your own kit, you were playing with, with men who had mortgages to pay. And if you didn't pull your weight, they'd let you know about it. So it was like you sort of grew up twice yeah. as quick as I would have. Um, I went out when I was 18. I went out on loan to Stafford Rangers who were in what would be the National League now. It was the conference then. 
um, and had 14 games for them. And that was brutal, like really brutal. It was b- before any of this, I touch you, or if you look like you're aggressive, it's a yellow card. It was yeah, like, exactly. he really had to catch you before he got a yellow card. And even then, he might get away with it because it's his first one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. So I used to spend the first 15 minutes of games waiting for someone to kick me, trying to take it, hoping they'd get booked so I could then start to play. Yeah. It was um, it was a real wake-up call, really, for me, having been at, at a privileged position at Liverpool to see what real football was about a crew. Yeah, and I think, like I say, pretty much everybody we talk to who's been in that same scenario says exactly the same thing about that, that it's such a good breeding ground, I guess, to really learn the game at a different kind of, from a different perception. Just for you individually, Craig, like, were you always in the kind of attacking third as a player coming through the youth setup and everything? Was that kind of always where you played? Yeah, I was, I was, I had a real problem when I was younger because I was uh, really small. You know, I was a real small kid. Little, little, I'd, I'd sort of late developer I'd call myself I wasn't really ready for football proper men's football until I was around I would say 20 1920 which is quite late um, I made my debut at 18 I think but I, even looking back now I wasn't ready um, but I had good ability and I was quick and I could sort of get away with the physical bit a little bit um, but I wasn't ready to play till I was 20 20, 20 21 properly um, and it, you know, it happened really quickly. Once I'd, I'd reached an age where I was ready to play, I had sort of a season at Crew, and and after that, it was um, it sort of escalated quite quick. I went from the fourth division to the Premier League. Yeah, straight away. Absolutely, because I mean that's where you step. You, you, you know, you spend four years at Crew, then mm. comes the, the move to Middlesbrough for about half a million pounds in November '92. And at this point, Butter kind of still in that state of flux I guess aren't they there's still those kind of financial challenges surrounding them They're a still little doing bit it now. <laughs> well yeah absolutely um you know those those financial challenges from the kind of mid 80s onwards are still there but the time you join is really the start of their resurgence but I guess as well for you it's a, a big step up isn't it in terms of level going from it was a massive step the first it was the first year of the Premier League yeah um, Middlesbrough had been promoted they'd had a good start then he'd hit a brick wall I signed in the November and we ended up getting relegated that first season. And then I remember the season after, obviously the finances, there was a, a bit of a, a boardroom battle. Um, Steve Gibson had ended up taking over the club from, from Colin Henderson. And that's really where it all began. Mm-hmm. When Steve took over, um, we had a real poor season. Lenny was leaving at the end of the season. He, he didn't sack him, but we knew Lenny was going. Um, and, and he brought Brian Robson in. So it was... He'd commissioned a new stadium. So there was a new stadium going to be built that for the year after. Um, and he got Brian Robson in as, as manager. And really, from then on, the club went on a, an unbelievable journey. And I was so lucky to be part of it for the six, almost seven years I was there. Yeah. Scored the first goal at the New Riverside, didn't you? Did, yeah. 2 0 win over Chelsea. Not a bad way just to kind of always cement yourself as a kind of legendary status in one hand, is it? But as you just touched on, I, I almost moved um, that summer. Um, was a, a, a big summer. I, I, got, I got a second bout of glandular fever mm. and I missed the last part of the season before. And I'd scored a few goals, um, but I'd, I'd been offered a contract which had then been taken off the table because they didn't know what was wrong with me. Okay. Um, I ended up getting diagnosed with glandular fever. And I don't think back then, I don't think they knew how to, to deal with it. I, I kept training every day, felt rotten, couldn't run, just felt tired and lethargic all the time. And the best thing for me would have been just go and have a month off and 
and we'll see you next season. But they mm. didn't. They kept flogging me, and I kept getting worse and worse um, until in the end, um, I had to stop. I couldn't physically do it. Yeah. So they took that contract off the table. I went back in pre-season. I spoke to Brian, um, and we went up to Scotland actually, and I done quite well in, in pre-season up in Scotland. And and Tommy Burns then had tried to sign me for Celtic. Okay. Okay. Um, and I didn't go. And then that sometimes I think about it and think, well, should I have went? But then I wouldn't have experienced the FA Cup finals and the Coca-Cola Cup finals and the Ravinelli's and Janinio's. And so I decided not to go and stayed at Middlesbrough, um, but ended up starting in the team, Arsenal away on the first game of that season. And then the Chelsea game was the second game where I'd scored the goal. It was the Riverside's opening. And um, it was just, a, you know, Nick Barnby had come by then, who mm-hmm. was a, an unbelievable player for me. He improved my game so much. And uh, seeing someone like him who's, who's similar to me, same size, yeah, same type of player. Um, he done some unbelievable things on a football pitch, and it made me think again. You know, why? How can he do this? And he's he's probably not as quick as me. Um, he's, he's he was clever, real clever footballer. But I took bits of his game, and it improved me unbelievably. You kind of touched on there. Brian Robson obviously takes over at Middlesbrough in 1994, and this kind of starts that whole crazy period of the mid 90s at Middlesbrough. We've got the likes of you know Janino, Ravenelli, Emerson, all these guys arriving at the Riverside. What was it like being in that dressing room when all these international stars kind of begin to arrive? Amazing. It was amazing. For a for a footballer, all you want to do is play as high as you can mm-hmm. and, and try and get to a, a level where, you know, you're seeing what these players are all about. And Janino, I think, at the time, had just one young player in Brazil. Um, so to see him come, and, and again, another player who I looked at him and I thought, he, can, he can't be the, the same fellow that Because he was like five foot six, probably six or seven stone went through and you're thinking, how's he going to cope with the Premier League? And then when you see him train, it took him probably a couple of months to get up to speed where, I mean, that's why some of these players are the best in the world because they know what they need and they go and yeah. do it straight away. He used to run every day after training because he knew he needed to be physically better. Um, he'd do pitch runs every day after training and he just got himself really fit. And then you see some of the things he did with the ball, but he was a free spirit and he would... He would go wherever he wanted, and and we gave him the license to do that. But to someone, for someone to do that, everyone else needs to work really hard to try and compensate compensate for it. But he was just a joy to to be on the same football pitch with. He would win games sometimes in fifteen minutes on his own. People yeah. couldn't cope with him. Yeah. Um, when he was on on his game, he was just incredible. You know, he he would ride tackles. He would people would try and kick him, but they couldn't. Um, and all that you think he shouldn't be able to do what he's doing because of his size. And, you know, he's obviously not a strong lad mm-hmm. like some of these others. But I remember he was brave and he would get balls in tight areas and take balls anywhere because he was so confident in, in his ability. And his ability was was ridiculous. And how did all these lads kind of integrate into the dressing room? You know, <laughs> it's suddenly, you know, like different languages and different cultures and everything moving to the northeast of England. It's, you know... Do you know what? It's... I mean, it couldn't happen now. If you look at the players that they had, I mean, Raven Elliott just won the Champions League or the yeah. equivalent of and, and been top scorer in it. And, you know, to get in for seven and a half million quid and and for, I think it was 40 grand a week, he broke the wage structure of the Premier League. So to see all these players who'd done what they'd done, I mean, Raven Elliott was, was one who, who split opinion. You know, he was, like you'd think, really, people thought he was arrogant. He was a typical goal scorer, selfish, you know, selfish, but... Listen, I loved him. I got on great with him. I, I think 
if he could see that you were trying to play the right way, he was great. And and all he wanted was to um, the standard to rise. And some people wanted the standard to rise. And people who thought you were a bit vulnerable didn't want the standard to rise. So yeah. it was a bit of a clash that way. Um, he wanted to train twice a day, whereas the English lads were like, well, hang on a minute. No chance. <laughs> yeah, but I, listen, he understood when he came that you couldn't, with, with the way our schedule is, you can't train twice a day in England, not in the Premier League, because games are like, you know, you play Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Yeah. You just couldn't physically train twice a week. But he, he got that FA Cup and all that as well, yeah. Yeah, he got it. But the mix, it, it, I don't know how they did it, but everyone got on. You know, it was not all the time. There was a bit of a um, an us and them mentality at times. It was the the big earners and the internationals and the against the lads who had been there for a few years and and had sort of um, developed with the club. Mm-hmm. So it, it was difficult at times, but I I never found it an issue. I um, I loved it. I guess as well that that Borough team it 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 was almost the start, wasn't it, of the kind of Premier League. The, the, the kind of foreign import thing wasn't it really um, it was just starting to happen at that point but Borough kind of took it to that next level and that 96-97 season of course is infamous for a whole number of different reasons obviously Middlesbrough reached both domestic cup finals you start both of them um, just talk us through I guess just the experience of getting to play in those finals especially I suppose the FA Cup final in particular is obviously yeah, well, a big one isn't it that's the, the FA Cup final is the one we'd, we'd been to the League Cup final um, it was my first Cup final with against Leicester and we drew and got beaten the replay, which we should never have done. Um, and then we get to the FA Cup final, had a great run. But we were one of them teams that no one wanted to play us because of what we had going forward. Yeah. We were a handful, um, but we had a great run. We had a dodgy one against Chesterfield semi-final, which is one of the best semi-finals. Even playing in it, I thought, what a game this is to watch. And yeah. I remember turning to Curtis Fleming when we were two down, saying to him, we're having one here. And he said, I know. Um, but I always think we didn't get enough credit for that game because it was Chesterfield who, quite rightly, because of where they were in the league. Um, but we had 10 men for 80 minutes of that and we were two down at one stage. And to yeah. come back and we got 3-2 in front and then obviously they scored with the header to take a, into a replay. Um, I always thought we didn't get the credit we deserve for, for the game. But It's a lose-lose, isn't it, though, for yeah, a it team from that perspective? It's, it is. I mean, the, the replay was a, a different kettle of fish. That was, um, it was sort of an easier game. But the final itself, walking out, we'd already beat Chelsea that season. Um, we'd had problems on the morning of the cup final. with a, There was a bit of an argument and a bit of fisty cuffs. Um, just what you want, eh? Just what you want. Yeah, just at the start. It was lovely. Um, <laughs> and I remember John Pickering, God rest his soul, saying, you know, you, you'll regret this. When when the dust settles on your careers, you, you'll regret this game. And he said it after the game because we had all the problems before it. And then we got 1-0 down after about 20-odd seconds with Di Matteo's Di Matteo. goal. So, yeah. yeah, so things didn't go great for us. We'd been relegated the week before because we hadn't turned up at a game at Blackburn. He took three points off us, which ended up getting us relegated. So we've suddenly been relegated with that team, having got enough points to stay up. Then you lose an FA Cup final and you'd lost the League Cup final. It turned into a, a disastrous season mm-hmm. when it, it it should not it should have been the best season that the borough had ever had. Yeah, you just touched on it there. Obviously, the season ends in controversial circumstances, shall we say, mm-hmm. because Borough eventually relegated pretty much due to this three-point penalty deduction. We went down by goal difference, I think, because yeah. of the three points had been taken off us. 
Exactly. Um, which the Premier League imposed because um, Bud had failed to fulfil a fixture against Blackburn earlier in the season. And that had occurred, there was like an illness bug or something, wasn't there, going through the squad? Yeah, there was a, an illness that swept through everyone. I think that we only had about 10 or 11 fit, um, fit pros. Now we just say we had COVID and they call it off. No, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I remember the times. So, but I'd said, you know, that they contacted the Premier League and taken advice before they decided not to turn up, and that kind yeah. of got put to the side. There was loads of different stories about what happened with that. Yeah, I just um, as a player, uh, how gutting is that to be relegated on that sort of on that basis? You know what I mean? Like, well, it's gotten because you've lost, you've lost being a Premier League footballer. You're suddenly a Championship footballer again. Um, we knew that the club, I mean, that season, if the club would have stayed up, there was people like Roberto Carlos lined up and um, I think Bebeto was mentioned, Paul Lynch would have come earlier. Mm-hmm. So the, the team would have been ridiculous. Like Steve Gibson was absolutely going for it. Brian Robson being there helped. Um, and the, the pull that they had at the time, literally anyone could have walked into the dressing room mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have been surprised. And and I think going on, you know, the, they did, Christian Karimbu and Christian Zieger, Alan Boxick, Bolo Zenden, Jimmy Floyd, Hasselbank, Mark Paduke, all these players went and played for Middlesbrough. Yeah. So the ambition that they had was, was second to none, but that certainly knocked them back. Oh, absolutely. A good two or three years. A good two or three years. Yeah. And as a player as well, I guess, like you can kind of, I'm going to say you can accept, but if you've been relegated on the merits of how you guys have performed over the season, you go, all right, well, we've not been good enough. There's that, mm. you know, there's that acceptance, isn't there? I genuinely find that most professional footballers are honest enough to admit when they've not yeah. been good enough either. But for that to happen on that kind of technicality, it just must be like, just can't get your head around that. You know, it's like... Yeah, because you've done enough. You yeah. know, even if we did, in hindsight, if we'd have turned up for that game and got beat 4-0, we'd have stayed up. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a... It looked like a poor decision from the club's point of view, but you don't know what advice they've been given by whoever they've been speaking to. So... It was just, it was a bit galling, to say the least, because we knew the likes of Juni and, and Rav, Emerson, they would leave the club because mm-hmm. they couldn't play in the championship. There was no way. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere, you, you ended up taking a pay cut, I think, didn't you, to stay at Borough for that following that was, season? Um, yeah, that was the season before that. Okay. I'd done it. Okay. Um, I'd, after the glandular fever, when they didn't know what was happening and they took that contract off the table, they, they'd, um, I said I'd stay on, on reduced wages to prove that, you know, it was the illness and that um, I wanted to to stay at the club. And and Brian, to be fair, was was true to his word. All they asked him for was, if I'm playing well enough, I want to be in the team. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to stay here just as a squad player. And he was fine. He said, if you're doing well enough, you'll be in. And he was. He was true to his word. But I bounce back to the Premier League. First time I've asked him, runners up to Nottingham Forest. There's a back-to-back appearance in the league cup final again as well this time um beaten by Chelsea you're still a consistent figure though in that team that gets back to the Premier League there's been the likes of Paul Gascoigne and Paul Merson have joined as well um at that yeah. point to replace you know the likes of Ravenel and Janino you end up scoring a double in your final game for Borough against Oxford to secure a return back to the Premier League but but come the end of that season you, you make the decision to move on from from Middlesbrough now before we come to the move to Aberdeen I guess just of interest, what was it that kind of prompted you to decide to to look to to make the move elsewhere? Well, I think I'd, I'd been offered a contract and it was poor. I turned the contract down, and we ended up going to New York on an end of season sort of a promotion, thank you type thing. The club took us to New York, and I'd spoke to Brian away in New York, and he said, "Look, are you going to sign?" And I said, "Well, if I get a decent contract, I, I will." Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be, 
I don't want to be on peanuts like I was last year. You know, there was Ravenelli was obviously on 40s. Um, Mikkel Beck had come in, he was on 15 grand. Um, Junie obviously was on big money. And I was one of the poorest paid in the, in the squad. And the offer I got to stay, having scored double figures and, and played in the vast well, majority of the games, mm-hmm. um, would have put me third worst player, uh, worst paid. Okay. I turned it down and at the club thought, because I was so popular at Middlesbrough, they didn't think I'd leave. And I didn't think I'd want to leave because I was really settled, loved my time there, loved the club, loved everything about it. But there comes a time where you think, well, listen, it's best for me if I, I do go. You know, I'd, I'm obviously not thought of as, as well as I thought I was by by the manager. Um, and you, you end up listening to other offers, which is, yeah. is how it come about. And you're coming at your prime at that point as well, and you're kind of 27, 28 at that point yeah. as well. So, you know, you kind of, you're, it's your maximum opportunity, isn't it, I guess, out there to... Yeah, it is. It was it was the first year of the Bosman as well. Yeah. So I um there was obviously no transfer fee, which you know, hindsight from their the club's point of view, they'd have been daft letting me contract run down. Mm-hmm. And but I think all oh, clubs were trying to get used to how it was gonna work. And you know, in if that happened now, they'd probably offer me a, a year's Aye. contract or two years contract and then sell me straight yeah. away. Absolutely. Uh, just to get some money back because they obviously missed out on a few quid. Uh, themselves so but it made it easier for me to move mm-hmm. yeah and it gave me more options it's announced on the 13th of july 1998 you've signed for aberdeen on a free transfer um aberdeen had just finished the previous season sixth spot uh alex miller had kind of come in midway through that season to replace roy aitken during that campaign um any aberdeen fan will tell you this is a real period of struggle for our football club and alex miller also doesn't strike me as being the most let's just say charismatic type of individual to try and sell a club to a player. You've obviously got Premier League experience, domestic cup final experience with Middlesbrough. Begs the question, why did you decide on, on Aberdeen? There was a number of reasons. Um, and it was the same reasons why I ended up not staying up there. Um, I'd just, I'd just got divorced or, or I hadn't been divorced. I was going through a divorce. Mm-hmm. So I'd had two small kids who were five and three at the time. I was in a, a real bad place and just wanted to get away. I wanted to get as far away as I could from all the stuff that was going on down, down in England. And I thought Scotland and, and Aberdeen, you know, I knew Derek White really well. I'd played with Derek here at Middlesbrough. Of course, yeah. I knew Billy Dodds. I knew Ian Jess, you know, all players who knew. Mike Newell and obviously Jim Layton was up there as well. Dean Windass, who, although he, he left when, when I came up. So... There was a lot of players who were new. There was a lot of players who I, I talked to. So I, I spoke to Derek White quite regular. Um, and they were all saying, you know, the same thing, that they're trying to do the right things. You know, they've got Alex Miller in who's come in. He wants to do it right and properly. Um, so I, I decided to go up and talk to him. My agent was Strew Marshall, who was also the agent of, of Billy Dodds and um, Ian Jess. Okay, okay. So we had, there was a lot of things in common. Strewn is Scottish, so he knew... He knew the, the league. I went up and had a look around, spoke to Alex and, and got on really well with Alex. I, I like Alex and I have got, I've got a lot of time and a lot of respect for him. Paul Hegarty as well. He was up there. I had a, yeah. a lot of time um, and, and a lot of respect for him. And then the, the other people who were at the club, you know, Teddy Scott, who is a legend at, at the club and um, Hoggy, who was there as, as fitness coach. Fitness coach, yep. I, I got on brilliant with all of them and loved... Love them all. Um, 
So I went up there, spoke to Alex, spoke to the chairman, uh, Stuart Milne, and, and decided to sign. But then I got cold feet. So I'd, I'd signed. And the day after, I phoned up Alex and the, the chairman. And I said, look, I've made a mistake. I think it's going to be too far for me with the kids. And I was going through a real a real bad divorce, really. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, a, it was a tough one. I said, I think I need to stay in England to, to be close to the kids. Um, it come back, Aberdeen came back and said, well, look, if we can help in any way, what about if if we haven't got a game from Saturday to Saturday? What about if we give you Monday off and you can go home after games on a Saturday and you can come back up Monday to train the rest of the week for Saturdays? Obviously, if we've got a midweek game, we can't do that. So I had a thought, I think about it and, and said, well, look, that, that sounds all right. You know, if I can have the Monday off and, and we've got a free week. I didn't want to be treated differently to anyone. And I knew I was going to get, I was going to get labelled a little bit when I went up there because of the wages that they were paying me. Yeah. But bear in mind, they didn't have to pay a transfer fee. Um, so re- I wouldn't say reluctantly. After thinking about it hard, long and hard, I, I decided to do it and said, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's go and, and get it done. What's your initial impressions of the club, I guess, just when you join up? You know, at that point, you know, 98, the, the kind of memories of Aberdeen, Art Ferguson the kind of European glory days and that are kind of relatively, still relatively fresh, you know, in, in mm. the mind of a lot of people in the UK, maybe not so much now. And just how did you find just the general, let's say the general pressure, you touched on a few of the characters who would have been around the club at the time. Um, Stuart Hogg's still going as a fitness coach, by the way. Is he? Yeah, at Peterhead. He's still oh, at it. Really? Um, I loved him. He was great. Guys like Teddy Scott, obviously absolute legends of the club. But yeah, just yeah. the general, the general club, the general feeling. What was your kind of initial impressions of the place? Good. You know, lads, lads were really good. I've got a good bond with them all. Uh, like I say, I knew quite a few of them. Um, yeah, it was just, everything was really positive and I was I was looking forward to, to getting going and, and starting. Pre-season was, pre-season was a breeze. I'd scored a load of goals in pre-season and, yeah. you know, everything was good. I was seeing the kids quite regular and I, I was, I sort of, I was happy with, with how it was going and where it was going and I wanted to get settled in really quickly mm-hmm. and I think, you know, when I when I look back on my time now, like my mental health when I was there wasn't brilliant, but it wasn't brilliant. It was good at the start, and then as soon as preseason had finished, there was a bit of a there was one episode I remember. I was in a, a hotel, and I didn't want to be in a hotel, so I decided to go and find a house as quick as I could, and and get settled down and and get sorted. So I was running around all over Aberdeen looking for a house every chance I got. So we but we were having sort of three training sessions a day. Okay. So we'd start in the pool at seven, get out, have a bit of breakfast. There'd be a, a gym session. Then we'd have stop and then we'd go out and do some training. And sometimes we'd actually come back and then go out again to do a little bit extra, like at four sessions some days. Mm-hmm. So in between all these sessions, I'm trying to fit in, going to see a house, come back, go and see. Anyway, we had this one session where I went to see a house in Bankery, which I ended up buying. And I, I went to the house. It was in between the, the second and third session. So it was, we'd just done weights and I was ready to go out and we were training. I think it was about two o'clock or something like that. I went to see this house um, and I came back and I was a little bit late for training. So I, I drove the car to where we were training on a, it was just a normal park. Or was it probably Seaton Park, I imagine? Might have been. And when I got there, um, Heggy said to me, um, you're late, go back and wait for me at the ground. I must have been 10 minutes late. Uh-huh. If that. And it wasn't because I was being a divvy or 
it was I'd, I'd rush to see the house to try and get sorted to get back to to train to and it was sort of like from that moment on it just they lost me because I'd like I say if it was now I'd handle things differently but I waited at the ground for Heggy I went back I wasn't happy I was angry I waited for them to finish training he came back then he said he took me out for a run so he was going to run me so I'm thinking well I'm in my head, I'm thinking I'm I'm a new sign and I've come. I'm trying to settle. I've got all this stuff going on, and I'm ten minutes late for a session, and you're making me wait an hour and a half, and then you're going to go out and run me. So we done this fart left that he used to do, and I remember trying to kill him in the run. In my own head, I'm thinking when he says go, I'm just going to go as fast as he can. And Heggy was a good runner, and he could run, but I could run, and I just wanted to try and hurt him by running. And then we'd done this run, finished. I was going back to see the kids because we had a day off the next day. So okay. it made me even later to get on the motorway and drive six hours to Warrington where he had to go. So after that, I don't think Heggy had spoke to me. I don't think he spoke to me. I just ran over the road, went into the uh, Pitodri, got changed, got in my car and drove off. And then I think it was the, the next time I was in, Alex had, had pulled me in and said, look, what was that all about? And I, I couldn't understand what he was talking about. I didn't, I said, well, I, it should be the other way around. I said, you should be getting me in to, to apologize and say, look, this is what I've got going on. This is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get settled. And mm-hmm. and you're on, I've got no time to do anything. So when do you think I'm going to, if we're going to keep on doing this for pre-season, when am I going to get time to then go and sort myself out and get it? And I think after that chat, they sort of half, half seen my point of view. But then once the, the league started, the Mondays that I was supposed to get off, were out the window and I'd been told that I could go and get a flight Saturday out of Aberdeen airport, fly into to Manchester. But unless they took me off at half time, I couldn't make that flight. <laughs> so I'm, I'm suddenly now yeah. Saturdays, I'm having to drive back and then drive back up the day after. And some days I drove down and drove back on the same day to see the kids for half an hour. Yeah. So I drive 12 hours to see the kids for half an hour or an hour. Uh, it's, it's tough. And I was going to say to you there, like, what you talked about there about the kind of you know um try to find a house not good stuff in the modern game now you know there'd be people at the club doing all that type of yeah. stuff for players and you know taking care and even at Aberdeen they'll have guys doing that type of stuff for the players who arrive now it's it's just such an uh, it's amazing how much the game has moved on from from that perspective and you know like you touched on there about looking after players not just from their physical health perspective but also from their mental health perspective it's a huge 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 thing now and um you kind of touched on there obviously with Alex Miller because for a lot of Aberdeen fans, he probably goes down as being one of, if not the worst manager in our in our history for what happened here. But you, you touched on about the fact that you, you had a lot of time for him. I mean, as a coach, how did you find him? Was he? He was all right. He was, but I, like I say, as a, as a person, I liked him. I thought he was he was really amiable, and I've seen him since and and stopped and had a chat with him. I, I do. I've got a lot of respect for him. He's had a really good career in, in football management as well and, mm-hmm. and been at a lot of places. So he's seen a lot of things and you'd be stupid if you didn't want to listen to someone like that. My issue would be sometimes we'd have a meeting about having a meeting. So he would say, right, at nine o'clock, I want you all in. And at nine o'clock, he'd say, right, we're having a meeting at 10. <laughs> and you just <laughs> think, well, I'm having a meeting about a meeting yet. But I thought he had some good ideas. I thought he wanted to try and, he did want to try and bring better players into the, to the mm-hmm. football club, but, for one reason or another, I don't know whether it was a money thing or whether he'd been promised money and then it was taken away. Um, but it just didn't happen. He um he didn't get I don't think he got the back in that he thought he was gonna get. Um yeah. and certainly when 
when he was talking to me about the club, he'd mentioned a few players who who they were all looking at and and hoping to get, and and I didn't see one of them. Just didn't quite happen. Um, I was laughing actually when you were talking about being in the pool first thing because when we spoke to Ian Jess about this, he was hating this because he had his he had his up at the old survival center, yeah. didn't he? Doing the doing the work in the pool and. I think Ian was saying that the early mornings in the pool were just not for not for him. I don't think. Um, well, Jesse wasn't like that. You know what I mean? Anything <laughs> that put him out of a comfort zone, he wanted everything to be nice. And and the minute you were asked, I mean, that was it was North Sea cold. You yeah, know, it, was, it would bolt it. Yeah, and we were in there at like I think it was seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, he was having us there, so it was freezing anyway. <laughs> and then you getting out of the cold and jumping into the cold, and it was it was funny. Don't get me wrong, it was funny watching some of them. Like, Ilian was... Oh, Ilian, I forgot you'd have been there when Ilian was there. I was there with Ilian. I loved Ilian. He was brilliant, but watching him get in there was funny. You know, he was like, just didn't want to do it. Um, <laughs> There's no danger Ilian would have been up for this at all. No, Not a chance. And he must have been thinking of what's going on. So I, I just, for me, I, I love training and whatever it is, I, I'll do it. The survival stuff, I love it. Like, I love it. So... It wasn't it wasn't a problem to me. I didn't I didn't mind doing it. The harder the better, really, for me. But some of them, it was um, it was a real chore. And you do get to the point sometimes because we were doing it every day. Yeah, it's a bit much. Yeah, you get to the point where you think, oh wait, come on, give us a, give us a break from this. You know, I'm I'm sick of getting up in the morning and having to go through this cold. Before, I mean, after that, we used to get out, go to the club, have a bit of breakfast, then do a weight session then have a little bit more lunch and then go out and do a football session. And you were just wanting pre-season to be over or the yeah. games to start to give you a little bit of respite. I mean, we worked so hard that pre-season um, and we started the the league like a house on fire. I thought we started the first few games really well. And after that, we hit a massive brick wall. But by that time, my, my head wasn't in, yeah. in football at all. It was elsewhere. I needed elsewhere. And I think I've been sent off as well away at, was it Dunfermline? I got yeah, I was just going to come on to that in a minute. Uh, we'll, we'll just jump back really quickly because the first league start for you, uh, we travelled to Dundee, Dundee, league opener. Um, Dundee just been promoted back to the Premier League. Massive travelling support as Aberdeen always had it in Dundee for this one. Pretty much a dream start. Ian Jess with the opener, 21 minutes. You grab your first goal just three minutes later. You remember much about that game, about the goal, and I guess still... Surely a massive positive, I guess, to get on the score sheet so quickly for a new club, especially with the weight of expectation there was as well around. Yeah, I think so. I think, I'd, like I say, I'd had a good pre-season. Where yep. I think I scored a few goals. I think I scored six away. Where Was it six or eight? Six, I think, at Devon Vale. Devon Vale, yeah, yeah. I think we'd beat them eight or nine or something. Um, but we'd had, a, we'd had a decent pre-season. I remember coming down here and playing Berry. I think when Neil Warnock was manager. Mm-hmm. Um and then to get the league started, I needed a good start. That's what I needed. But and, and we we got one. You know, I, I got one. We were, I thought we were comfortable in the game. We looked a, a good side. Um, I remember Jesse scoring. And then after that, it was, I think I could have had a couple more in the game. Um, but I remember that it was far post. The ball came over. I knew the lad was going to miss it. And I, I think I took a touch with my knee first. And then then I think it was a near post one. Put it in. I was I couldn't miss. Um, but that was to get off to a good start like that was was just what I wanted. I didn't, you know, I couldn't have went any better really. Yeah, league cup tight Inverness in the midweek. Billy Dodds gets a hat trick in this one. Um, but it's you that grabs a lot of the headlines again for your performance. So Billy Dodds at this point's got one foot out the door with him being yeah. sold to Dundee United later. The a few weeks later, 
there was a lot of chat at the time that that Billy and Alex Miller didn't see eye to eye. Um, what was the general atmosphere in the dressing room like? It's, it was a decent start that season, but, and, and you'll probably correct me about this, Craig, but it never seemed to me like it was a squad who were necessarily fully bought into the manager. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I never seen, you know, Billy never, never done anything in front of us mm-hmm. with, with the manager, but it, I knew, listen, Billy was always moaning about something or <laughs> he was a um, great lad, but he did like a moan. Um, but he was a good player and I couldn't understand why he was, he was going. Um, he obviously had an eye for goal. He'd scored his hat-trick and you just think kick on. And, and then, like you say, a few weeks later, he'd gone and he was at Dundee United. So, I think Dean Windass had gone in that, that season and we'd signed yeah. a few um, who some of the lads weren't sure about. Um, I didn't know anyone because I were, you know, I didn't know any of the, the Scottish players really. Yeah. Fresh league and everything for you. Yeah, I just knew the lads who I'd played with and, and the lads who I knew. But I, I thought they were all good lads. I thought they all they were all honest. Mm-hmm. They all put shift in. Um, we needed a bit more quality, I think. Uh, but I don't think that's a surprise. I, I didn't see any... You know, I was going through my own stuff. So I, yeah. was, um, I wasn't really focused on, on what was going on. I was just trying to get through days at a time. And, yeah. and until in the end, I was, I'd sort of offered... Well, I'd offered the club everything they paid me back. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll come up to that in a minute again, I guess, Craig, just really quickly. Uh, there's, the, there's a first home game for you. Falls yeah. on the Sunday. A live early evening game on Sky. The Celtic come to Pataudry. It's a ridiculously crazy game. Still remember it to this day. Yeah, it is. Eventually we come out on top. Mark Perry with an unbelievable strike just before halftime. Um, I think he thought he was clearing the ball more than anything there, but never mind. <laughs> a penalty miss from Simon Donnelly. We get two goals in three minutes. Uh, frankly, hilarious own goal by Reggie Blinker. Reggie Blinker, yeah. Uh, you make it three, fine finish after rounding Jonathan Gould. I guess just, you know, as an Aberdeen player, playing either half of the, the Glasgow teams is always a big event at Petaudry. Just, you know, was that one of those games that you kind of thought, yeah, this is kind of well, what I did move to Scotland for, kind of have that kind yeah. of experience. And that was the one, you know, they, they were the games I was going to look forward to. It was, um, and and it was really early and I was pleased it was early because I wanted to see what they were all about. I knew they had good players, you know, mm-hmm. they they had some really good players. Paul Lambert was playing centre mid. I think Craig Burley was he centre mid with him as well that game. Yeah, missed a penalty later on. Yeah, so I knew I knew they were good players. Um, but I, I always fancied myself against you know teams like that, bigger teams because when it was a big occasion, that the bigger the occasion, the more I wanted to to do well in it. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of them games where it it was an unbelievable game. Even now, you know, you you look at it and think. Did that really happen? How did they miss that? And I, I'd watched, I've watched highlights on YouTube of it, and and some of the bits I'd forgotten had happened. So like, I'm thinking, how did we, how did we get a result in this game? They've got, they've got another penalty here. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Scottish refereeing. There's at least two <laughs> yeah. penalties. It's like I've literally got no idea what that's for. Even the guys in the even the South players are like, I don't know what you're giving that for. No, no idea, mate. No Unbelievable. Stuff. I think Russell, An- Russell Anderson unballed one. Did he unball it? I think that's the one that's probably a penalty, yeah. Yeah, a madame ball. He put his hand up for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. But, yeah, there was bits in that game that I didn't remember. And I can't remember too much about the game. I remember the goal. I remember a free kick I hit nearly over the stand. (laughs) That's probably the worst free kick I've ever hit in my life. Um, But I remember after that game, just something must have happened right because I'd, I'd started getting messages on my phone after that game just saying, you know, I had a lot of... A lot of Borough fans and a lot of Borough people phoning me and um, just kicking off with Brian Robson, really. And and then Robbo would phone me 
and just said, well done. And I'd asked him if I could come and train because I was coming back. We'd had a couple of days off, I think, mm -hmm. and asked him if I could train at Middlesbrough. And he said, yeah, no problem. And I remember him saying to me when I was there, he said, why didn't you sign for us? And I said, well, you, what he'd done, he told me to phone him before I'd signed for anyone. And I phoned him on a Sunday afternoon to say, look, I'm, I'm signing for Aberdeen. We've agreed everything. And he said to me, oh, all the best. <laughs> and I thought, oh, cheers. So I said, oh, thanks a lot. Put the phone down. He can't remember that conversation. And he said to me, you should never ring me on a Sunday. That's me going out there. So, <laughs> so he, he, he had no recollection of the conversation I had with him. But he was, listen, he was great. I don't yeah. think, I think, um, if I remember rightly, there started to be some stuff in the paper about, I think someone had said I wasn't good enough for something, for something. And Mark Aitley had stuck up for me, but I can't remember who said it. I don't know whether it was Robbo or it was attributed to Robbo, but Robbo said he, he didn't say anything like that. Okay, okay. Um, but I don't know. It, it just I knew something was going right, you know. It's But at the same time, stuff in my life was coming mm -hmm. to a head. Yeah. We'll come at that really briefly as well in a minute. I guess just two league games, two wins. Dons are top of the table. Um, when you signed, it, it it seemed for a lot of Aberdeen fans, it was like an unreal signing to an extent when you when you when you joined the club. Um, the fact we were able to attract a player from you know the English Premier League experience there was kind of crazy for us at that moment in time. It was the start, I think, of the that real shift, that real divergence between the Scottish League and the English Premier League with the money that's available in, in England, especially. Yourself and Ian Jess in particular really seemed to dovetail really well together. I mean. Was that a partnership you enjoyed playing in for that brief period of time that you were kind of flying? Yeah, that, I love Jesse. Je I still speak to Jesse now via Twitter. We've had a couple of messages recently. Um, I know he's just had a birthday, and he, for me, he was he was the type of personality that I like. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a real nice lad, um, unassuming, really good footballer, um, clever. You know, just a just an intelligent footballer and and someone who. You could play with, you know, I could play with Jesse because I knew what he was going to do and, and he would always do the right thing more often than not. So players like that, you know, Nick Barmy comes into that category where you knew what he was going to do. And, and it's it's a really simple thing to say, you know, just just play the way you're facing or just pass it where you should. Not a lot of people do it. Um, but Jesse's one of them people who've done what he thought, what you thought he was going to do. An unbelievable player. I mean, for, still for me to this day, my favourite Aberdeen player of all time yeah, is, is Ian. He, he was a top man. And like I say, not, not only was he a, a really good footballer, but he was a, a nice person as well with it. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of touched on earlier on, Craig, obviously the, the, you know, the club had promised you the whole idea about, you know, uh, Mondays off, etc., to to head back down south. Um, and as you say, it, it kind of fails to materialise. I mean, that, from your perspective, is just going to leave you with a, you know, a bad taste in your mouth, isn't it? just to begin with about the fact that it feels like they're kind of reneging on a promise to you from that perspective. I, I felt like as it went on, they had no understanding of what I was doing, what I was going through mm -hmm. and, and the problems that I was, I was telling them, but there was no help. You know, there was no, it was just, well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't a, well, let's see if we can sort something out or there was no understanding of it. I, I felt like I say, if it was now, I'd, I'd, I'd deal with it differently. Yeah. But back then, when you're a young kid and you're full of anger and things are going on, and I'd had other stuff that happened as well, like weird stuff, like I had a stalker who tried to follow me up to to Aberdeen. Um, Bloody hell, seriously? Yeah, it was weird. So so I had other stuff, but it, the, the kids' stuff and the divorce stuff, and that I needed I needed to settle I needed to settle down somewhere, and I needed I bought a lovely house in Bankery and loved it, 
absolutely loved it. And there's no way in the world I'd, I'd have moved. Mm-hmm. But I just felt like the club in the end didn't didn't support me. Yeah. You know, they, they were putting me up for press conference so that I didn't want to go in. And I was made to go in. I ended up falling out with a reporter. I'd, I'd caught, I don't know what I did. I'd, I was really horrible in this press conference and ended up nearly, you know, I was wanting to fight everyone because it was, I just, um, at that time, I was in such a dark place that mm. if someone said anything the least bit bad to me, I'd kick off, you know. So, I'd, but like I say, if it was now, I'd, I'd change. And I always look back on it and think, do I regret it? I don't regret it, but I'd do it differently. I always feel like I've had unfinished business at Aberdeen. It's a club that I enjoyed being at because a lot of people think I hated it up there. I didn't. I really enjoyed it. It was just the other things I was going through and I, and I felt like I wasn't being supported or I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I don't think they treat it properly. You know, I think yeah. what I was going through, they thought was trivial. You know, not seeing your kids is, having seen them every day and then getting divorced and having that limited time with them. I was then going from just seeing them two days a week was fine with me, but I was going from then to not seeing them at all for a couple of weeks, two and three yeah. weeks. And it was, I couldn't, it was hard for me to deal with. Ah, it's it's you know it's it's almost impossible, isn't it, for him to really to really deal with. And they come up. My mum and dad would bring them up on on weekends sometimes when he, you know, if because I was having problems with me back because I was I was sitting in a car for six hours. Well, back, yeah, yeah. And my back was seizing up, and I was missing some training because of of a back injury. And I, I remember I couldn't walk before. Um, I think we played Rangers away, and I couldn't walk on the Friday. I'd my back seized up after training and. And I went and had, um, I think it was Gillian, who was the, the masseur. I think it, that was her name. She was she was brilliant. But I went and seen her and she got me moving. And, and I ended up playing the game the next day, which I never thought I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, you know, it, it started to impact in other ways. Yeah. And it's that thinking, isn't it? Between, you know, it's it, from, from, you know, I look at that and I go from a football club perspective. It's no use for us having a guy sitting six hours in the car each no. way. You know, he's just going to come back broken, you know tired you know mentally let alone from a physical perspective sitting in a car for that long you're not going to get the best out of a an individual on the football pitch doing that type of thing either and you know the the, the season starts to tail off there's a bit we you know we, we hit a bit of a brick wall you touched on earlier on you get sent off in that away match at Dunfermline which is helping the boy after 24 minutes I don't think Do I elbowed him no no I think I've, well, I've just tried to, to arm him off yeah and I've, okay. he's caught me here but I'm, he was trying to kick me so I'm yeah what do you want me to do? What I can't do that. Yeah, I was shocked when I got sent off. Welcome back to Scottish refereeing again. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was. I was unbelievably shocked, and I, even that one when I got sent off. If, if I don't know if it's the same place now, but we um, you come out, we come out of separate tunnels at the time, and the referee would come out a middle tunnel. Ah, uh, yeah, that's not the when same. I got, yeah. When I got sent off, I walked up the middle tunnel. <laughs> so I've got all the fans having a go at me and shouting at me and calling me all kinds. And then I've walked up the middle tunnel and I've got there and I've thought, <laughs> I don't recognise it. So I've had to walk back out again and they're all laughing at me and then having another pop at me before I went to the proper dressing room. Uh, it's just what you need, is it? Ah, uh, yeah, brilliant. But I, that was, I remember someone having a go at me coming out of, of Celtic as well and I was coming out to, to get in the car with my dad to drive back and, and someone was having a pop at me there. But I, listen, that that stuff, that's part and parcel of being a footballer. I didn't, I didn't mind all that. That was... Um, I'd expected all that, and I wasn't bothered about it. That, that that was the stuff that didn't bother me. The the stuff that bothers me is the stuff where people know what you're going through, and they've invested a lot of money in you. Mm-hmm. Like you say, to get the best out of the investment, they should 
try and find a way to make me at least see a better way or see a a, a bit of light at the end of a tunnel somewhere. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They never did. You know, rumours start, you know, going around the city kind of, you know, pretty sharp after the, a lot of these games saying that you know, you're not happy. The team's forms also feel come to come off a cliff, but they start in November, it's confirmed you've been put in the transfer list and come middle of November, um, you signed for Barnsley. On that one, just how did the move to, to Barnsley come around? Because obviously this is pre-transfer window stuff, so you could do this, you know, in the kind of November and everything. And I guess just how willing were Aberdeen to let you go at that point? I think without me, I was going to retire. I'd, I'd got to that point where I'd just had enough of football. Mm-hmm. And and I'd I'd had a conversation with the football club to say, look, I'll give you back all the money you've paid me now, and I'll just walk away. And they were like, well, no, we don't we don't want that. Um, and I said, well, I'm I'll just retire. I'll just I've had enough. I can't mm-hmm. do this no more. Um, I mean that sounds now that sounds nuts to to say that, but that I, that's where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a phone call. So Manchester City had phoned me and and. Joe Royal had phoned me. They were in the old, they were in League One at the time. Yeah. Um, they got promoted that season, I think, in the playoffs. But he'd phoned me, but middle, uh, Aberdeen were asking for too much money. So they, they wanted a million quid. Um, and then John Hendry had phoned me at Barnsley. And I played with John at, at Middlesbrough. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he was manager at Barnsley. And he'd said, look, I think the club have phoned us. They like Martin Bullock, who was a, a winger. And he said, we're going to do a swap deal for, for you and Bully. And um, I think they wanted 800,000 quid. So I said, right, okay. And he came up and he brought Martin up and they sat there. And I was sat outside with Martin and he, John was in with, with Alec Miller and, and the chairman. And Martin, me and Martin had the same agent. So Martin's saying to me, well, what's it like? And I said, Bully, you're asking the wrong person. I said, I, I hate it. I said, I've... I've got this issue that's going on. The club have been rubbish with me. They train on a, a normal park. I said, and it's it's not for me. And he said, all right. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, I don't even know whether I should have said that because now I might not get get a move. Yeah. Anyway, we go in the, the, the room and, and Alex says, right, we sorted the deal out. Are you happy? And I said, yeah. And he said to Martin, are you happy? And Martin said, no. <laughs> he said, I don't want to come. And he said, well, why don't you want to come? And he, he said, well, Craig said it's shit. <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't. Well, uh, what can you do? Do you know what I mean? I just had to, open you right in it, eh? to look, yeah. So John John Henry's looked at me and he's looked at Martin and he's gone, oh, I guess we haven't got a deal then. So he, John ended up having to pay some more money <laughs> to take me and, and keep Martin. And he didn't want, you know, he just wanted one or the other. So... He still has a go at me now about that, costing him <laughs> more money. But listen, as soon as I, as soon as I went to Barnsley, it was like a, a cloud was lifted. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's going to be you know much more local, isn't it, for you? From uh, well, it was. I was suddenly close to the kids. That yeah. the first game was two days after I signed. I scored two um, in a seven nil win. Was seven nil seven one over Huddersfield. And after that, I, I had such a good time at Barnsley that I think I. I played about 65 times for them, scored over 35 goals, 36 goals. It just, it made me realise what a, a real dark place I was in mm-hmm. when I was up, up in Aberdeen. And it didn't it didn't need to be. Yeah, yeah. Looking back now, it didn't need to be, but I I didn't see a, a way out. I didn't see any way out if the 
unless the club were willing to to do something. And I guess as well, you know, at that point, you know, um, it's not a slight on 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 Alex Miller or Paul Hegarty at all, but they're old school managers, aren't they? You know, they're yeah. it's that old school mentality. And I think in the modern game, you know, we even see it. You know, we've seen it recently that you know Aberdeen have had a number of players in recent seasons who have moved up from England who have got family still, you know, down south and they've let them do exactly the type of thing Aberdeen said they were going to do with you, you know, they'd, they'd get Mondays, Tuesdays off, they'd fly home, come back up. All part of that idea about keeping a player happy from a mental perspective is going to mean you're going to get much more out of them on the pitch yeah, listen, as well. Don't get me wrong, it's not. I wouldn't put the blame on them. You know, no, that but it's... it was me, that it was what I was, it was what I was going through and how I dealt with it. So I think I dealt with, with some of that wrong and, and like I say, when you're young, you, you're full of you're full of it. You know, you you want to take on the world because you feel like you someone's wronged you, if you like. Yeah, um, absolutely. Or someone's not listening to you. Uh, like I say, if that was now, I'd, I'd be a totally different person. I've never after that happened. I, I got death threats. So after I'd, I'd left, I ended up getting death threats, and I don't know how people got got me number, but they were phoning me phone up and um, saying, "Oh, I'm going to wreck your house," and but, but it was like. None of that mattered, you know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. what, what did that matter to me? I wasn't bothered. I was going to ask about that, actually, because at the time after you left as well, I mean, there was like a load of chat in the press, et cetera, especially, you know, and the perception was put out there about you kind of maybe being some sort of, you know, mercenary and you were, yeah. you know, you're the highest paid player Aberdeen had had and probably still are probably the highest paid Aberdeen ever had. And there was all that chat about these loyalty payments and all this type of stuff. Did that sort of chat... Did that kind of piss you off, or is that just one of these? You're just like, you know what? I'm I'm done. I'm out of there now. I'm not bothered by that. It's just it's what it is. If you think about it, where did them stories come from? Well, yeah, they've come from the club because mm-hmm. only the club knows what I'm getting and when I'm getting it, and so all them stories have, have come from the club. So it showed you what the club was thinking then. Yeah. Like, but I, if the club had just come to me and went, look, if, if you want, if they want me to go, all I was asking them for was to go. So it didn't make sense to leak my wages and when I'm due loyalty payments and, and all the rest of it. I wouldn't have took a penny. That's why I offered them all the money back. So I said, you can have the money back. I don't, money's never been an issue for me. It's never ruled my life. I'm, if I've got it, I've got it. If I haven't got it, I'm not bothered. It's never, ever been important to me. But the, the, the important thing to me is I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm in a place where where you're given... Not, Respect is the wrong word, but they appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you're doing it properly. I'm not just coming up there for a, a payday. Like like they said, the papers are always going to say that. And it that, that paper thing didn't bother me. I had a column in one of the papers who were, mm-hmm. were giving me money to put, write in the paper. So I wasn't bothered about what papers were going to write. It Some of it was going to be lies. Some of it was going to be true. You just put up with it. That's, that's part and parcel of being sort of quite high profile. But the... The one, the important thing to me is that the people you're working for know that you you're there for the right reasons, and they know, and they appreciate you, mm-hmm. and yeah. you they know that you're doing everything. You're not you're not just coming up and then flitting off and doing other stuff around the football club. You, your job is football, and and you wanted. I always thought that the way the the thing that would show me in the best light would be the club doing well. Of course, so if I went up yeah. there and Aberdeen start winning and. I'm going to get more out of that than I am by kicking off and saying, yeah. oh, I don't want to be, and I don't want to. And the, the, one of the nicest things that anyone did for me up there and I, was Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. When we played Rangers, we um, 
we'd finished the game and he'd come up and shook my hand and he said to me, I hope everything works out with you and the kids. And I thought that's, do you know what I mean? He's, he didn't have to say it, mm-hmm. but he, it, it showed that he, he had an understanding of, of what I was going through. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think his way with him, <laughs> one of the things that will probably shock a lot of Aberdeen fans listening to this is the the fact that Stuart Milne turned down you refunding his money, to be honest with you. That's uh, very <laughs> unlike Stuart. Well, listen, if go. you think about it, it wasn't that much at the time. Do you know, I'd only been there for, what was it, three months? I think about three months it ended up being. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I knew for a fact, I called his bluff because I knew they wanted money for me and I knew they'd get money for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what what they, they had to be careful was that they didn't paint me out to be a psycho. Yeah, who exactly. No want. So... <laughs> It was, a, it was a tricky one for them. If they'd have just come and went, yeah, no problem, I'd have went the next day. Yeah. And they'd have got the money. It didn't need to be like it was, where it this was. big yeah. us and them. And, and whoever handled the, the PR, listen, I, I like I say, I wasn't blameless. I, my PR was shocking because it was me just spouting off all the time when people would say stuff to me. Mm-hmm. I'd, regardless of where I was, I'd, I'd say exactly what I thought. And, and some of that, I have to apologise to some of the, the press up there because... You know, there was one particular um, reporter who worked for, I think he worked for the Aberdeen local, Charlie. Charlie Allen. <laughs> Charlie Allen, who I was really, I mean, I, you know, I was really poor with. And I, had a, I went and had a chat with him under the stands. And I, I really, because um, that's not like me. Mm-hmm. I'm not like that. You know what I mean? But I'd had a go at him in a press conference and then someone else had chirped in and called me something. And then I had a go at him. Um, I think he was an ex-player. And then after that, you know, I'm, you think to yourself, when it's all done and dusted and over with, I just think, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. No, that's not you at all. Just just be yourself and it, you'll be all right. But, yeah, so I have to, um, I owe Charlie an apology probably as long overdue, but... I, well, I know apologize. Charlie listens to us, so, um, you know, there we go. Well, yeah, well, pass on <laughs> me apologies for him. He's, he's, due, um, he's due an apology, because I remember that press conference well, and it wasn't it's, it wasn't it's, like me. Yeah, but it's, it's a... It's a circumstance that's born out of everything else that's going on, isn't it? And we've kind of touched on, and you've touched on this topic previously. You know, Aberdeen ended up doing not bad, actually, out of your short spell. You made a load of money. Free transfer in three months later, it's about 800 grand from Barnsley. So it's well, not a bad got, profit. You got over a million, I think, in the end. Yeah? Yeah, so okay. they done much better. they done right? much better than I did, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we kind of touched on there. You know, all in all, it's, it's, a, it's a short spell at Aberdeen obviously 15 games in total two goals and you kind of touched on earlier on you know looking back on your career is that one of those kind of what if scenarios of things just have been that bit different or is it just it's just one of these things and you kind of just have to move on from it is what it is I think you know that that's when back then life took over life got in the way of it never had before mm-hmm. I'd um I'd never been that far away and I'd never been without the, the kids seeing the kids regular so life had got in the way and it was overtaking it because, you know, at that time it was more important. Um, but like I say, if there was a little bit of, of understanding the other way, then there would have been a better way to, to deal with it. You know, someone should have just took me and said, look, this is what, what we're going to do, or we can do this for you. Or, but no one ever did. You know, even yeah. I remember the, the, the press conference I've just talked about. I remember thinking, well, I'm going to get fined for that because I can't go around talking and, and acting like that in, in a press conference with everyone there. No, no one said anything to me. No one said a word to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, that was the time where I, I, that was me done. I was, I felt isolated. I felt like I was, 
sort of on my own trying to trying yeah. to deal with stuff. And the thing was, everyone was thinking, well, you you know, you're getting paid to play football, so just get on with it. And it's sometimes I'm not. It's if you know the way I work, that, that's not me. I'm not bothered about. It's not as simple like that. as that, is it? You know, no. at the end of the day. Well, like it, Aberdeen is a. It's one that are, it's not a regret, but it's a it's a one I like. I say I feel like I've got unfinished business there, and I'd like to. Um, I don't know how I can now, but I'd like to try and. Um, I, I don't know what what would you say? What what's the saying? What I'd like to. I'd like to make it right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I can, and I don't know if I ever will, but it, it's something that I'll, you know, as it bugs me, and it, it it's always bugged me. The um, the move to Barnsley works out obviously really really well for you. Um, couple of seasons, good performances in in South Yorkshire, um, in the old First Division, kind of just miss out on coming back to the Premier League in the playoff final. Um, your last campaign there is to get a couple of goals or. I think one's been credited to Richard Wright as, as an own goal, but it's yours, yeah, let's be honest. It was my goal. Absolutely. Um, you get the move back, though, to the Premier League, move to Blackburn Rovers, pick up a League Cup winner's medal with Blackburn, come off the subs bench as Blackburn beat Spurs 2-1 at Cardiff. Obviously, we touched on it on, you know, been a runner-up in the domestic cups before. Must have been a really special moment for you just to be able to get a, a hands on a winner's medal. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. I was disappointed I didn't start the game because I... I'd played in most of the other games. I think I played in all the games. Um, but we'd had a lot of injuries that, that week. And he decided to play Mark Hughes as a central midfielder, um, which meant I was on the bench. So listen, you take that, don't you? But to, to be involved, I came on um, Millennium Stadium, roof closed, playing against Tottenham. We weren't a bad side. Uh, yeah. But we had a we had some unbelievable players. I mean, Damien Duff, one of the best players I've ever played with. He's up there with Janino. He was... Phenomenal footballer, Matt Janssen, another one, great yep. footballer. But we we were littered with with real quality. Um, so to get that win and, and beat them there and feel feel what it was like to, to win a trophy at a, a major final was was great. Obviously, I didn't, you know, you want to you want to win something, don't you, before your career finishes. Um, you want to win a cup. And and I'd been to I've been to two plus a playoff final and, and never won anything. Mm-hmm. So to win that one was, yeah, it was a bit special. Special, absolutely. After your time at Blackburn, a couple of spells with Coventry, Leicester, Lunet, Crew again. Rounding things off with spells at Leeds, Darlington. Apple on Limassol, which I hadn't realised until I went back to look at your, your stuff, which makes you, I think, I'm, I'm certain this will be the case, the only players who've ever played for both Aberdeen and Apple on Limassol, <laughs> who played each other in the Europa League qualifiers a couple of seasons back. So yeah. um, I, I was surprised that when I spotted that one out. Spenny Moore United, Hartlepool United, and then Billingham, Sidonia, and then obviously had, you know, entered the kind of managerial coaching side of things for a bit. Um, initially part of the academy set up at Middlesbrough, um, Colin Cooper's assistant at Hartlepool, and then kind of returning to, to Middlesbrough with Eitor Karanka and then his coaching team um, before going back to Hartlepool, spells manager there for a little bit and director of football. Uh, and then back again to Harlepool in 2019. Is the kind of was the coaching managerial side of things something that you were always kind of interested in being involved in going through your playing career, or was that something that kind of fell into later on? Or no, I think I like the the man management side of things. I like I like the coaching side of things. I think if you were to ask me now, I'd, I'd favour doing a an under 21s, 23s mm-hmm. than I would, um, and that was only because I had a I've had a bad experience of the two managerial jobs that I had you know I did, it was difficult it was the first one was going really well when I was manager first time at Hartlepool we I took over we were third bottom fourth bottom ended up finishing about 14th um, and things were great and then the season after 
there was a fallout between the the two owners. One of them walked away, and then there was there was a spell where they weren't paying players, mm-hmm. and and that was really difficult to manage. You know, when when players aren't getting paid, trying to motivate them and and it was hard. You know, when you're getting wives phone up and saying we've got a mortgage to pay, when are we getting paid, and and you haven't got an answer for them, it's um it's hard. So I lost my job there because someone came in invested in the club but wanted their own manager in charge so it wasn't how I'd done it was just yeah personal that's what happened thing. Yeah, yeah. and then the second one I'd, I'd put put a consortium together to buy it I didn't want to see it go to the wall so I'd done something about it and I put a local businessman Raj Singh who still owns the club and Jeff Stellan together they took over the club and I became director of football they went through a couple of managers and then the owner decided he wanted me to manage it which I didn't want to um, I, I was happy being director of football, but my arm was twisted because he said my job might not be there next year. So I either took this one or didn't. And he was a friend of mine, you know, he, he was a friend of mine. So I took it and we'd done all right. We were, I think we'd, he wanted top 10 the first season, but I think we were four points off a playoff spot when I got the sack. So we we reduced the wage bill by half, got to win in four points of a playoff spot. Um, 15 games into the season and I ended up getting the sack. He didn't tell me, it was the chief executive who told me and I, d- I still don't know the reason to this day. So that was a weird one for me and I just thought, what's, you know, you, you've got an expectation of top 10, suddenly we're, we're four points outside of playoff spot. We were, I think we were in 11th or 12th, um, but it, it, the gap was so small. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it's only 15 games in, like you say, yeah, as well. You know? wins, was it a 44 getting, game season? 46 yeah, games we were getting games, better all the time. We were, we got rid of a load of players who took a big chunk of the wage bill and we were getting better ones in for, for less money. Um, and it, I actually ended up selling a few of them up, up to the Scottish Premier League, people like Nicky Cabamba, Trevor Carson and people like that who'd all done well for me and went up, Liam Donnelly. So we'd had a, a decent side. and But I don't know when, you know, why. I don't know why I got the sack. So, so it sort of put me off a little bit. I thought if I want to go back in, I don't want to develop youngsters. You know, I, I love the coaching and, yeah. and I can guide people and, and, and show them the right way. And I think I'd probably get more satisfaction out of seeing a youngster you'd coached go and play wherever he's playing, what, whatever level it is for a first team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll wrap up just in a minute, but I just thought, obviously, you, you know, you, you touched on a minute ago the fact you cover um, Liverpool games for for uh, Radio Merseyside and stuff like that. So, obviously, Calvin Ramsey, who's um, recently yeah. left Aberdeen, moved to Liverpool. First team debut was, uh, was his Champions League debut against Napoli was when he came on with Napoli? Yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, doing all right. Um, fingers crossed we get to see a little bit more. Him and obviously Leighton Clarkson is on loan at, at Aberdeen as well from Liverpool, and he's doing yeah. well um, up here. Yeah, so. I think Calvin had an injury, didn't he, when he first came down? He, he He's had a couple of little, yeah. little niggly ones, but the times he's been on and played, he's looked really good. You know, he's, listen, he's got a, a tough act to follow. Um, you've got someone like Trent who, who you're trying to oust out the team. It's not going to happen. He's 23, Trent, and he's won everything you have to. Um, so unless someone big comes in and, and pays Liverpool ridiculous amounts of money, I can see Trent being there for whatever. But yeah. I think for Calvin, it, it's it's brilliant to see people like him training every day and, and seeing what he does. And I'm sure he'll improve because Jurgen Klopp does that. He improves people. Um, and he's got a big future because he, he looks really positive. He looks like he can deliver a ball. He's He's brave. You know, I've seen he's he's quite aggressive. Yeah. And he looks like he's he's a good fit for them. Um, like I say, whether he'll get much game time or not, I don't know. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes. It's a, it's a huge, huge, huge step up from him. And at the age he's at as well, I mean, he'd only played, you know, a season's worth of football at Aberdeen, yeah. obviously, before he got that move. And he's still a young lad. Really good boy, though. Really good lad. Um, head very much screwed on as well. So it's, it's good to see. And fingers crossed he does get those opportunities down the road. Listen, Craig, we'll we'll, we'll finish things up here. Um, really, really, really appreciate you taking the time to to talk with you. It's fascinating as well to get a chance to hear from you um, firsthand about your time with mm-hmm. Aberdeen. And, Generally, we we wrap up our question sessions with with our guests by asking the same question we ask everybody. And on one hand, I feel a bit unfair asking you this because it's obviously your spell here was so short and probably not. Yeah. Let's be honest, the most positive spell of your of your of your career. No, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I am interested to see to see your answer. Um, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Unfinished business. There we go. I like That's it. I mean. It's it's. I've never had the chance to speak about it before and no one's ever asked me to speak about it before until you have thinking about it and, and haven't done what we've done today. It's brought back some really good memories. So it's not all bad memories that I've got of Aberdeen. It's brought back some really good memories that I had, um, which is nice because I only remember the bad ones. Good. I'm glad to hear that that's been the case. Um, Craig Hignett, listen, it's been a privilege getting to talk to you this evening. All the very best going forward uh thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us and uh, stand free thank you very much it's been a pleasure and that wraps up this week's episode of the abz football podcast thanks for joining us please remember to like subscribe or follow whatever you might do on your podcast player of choice join us next time for episode 113 where we've got no idea at all what we're going to bring you but we'll bring you something we look forward to seeing you then stand free This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!